Mate, that's well presents Chords. Ollie, welcome to Ain't That Swell, mate. G'day, mate. <laughs> how you going? Yes, good. How are you? I'm feeling swell. Yeah? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> feeling on the, um, on the upcome of the wave rather than in the trough. Yeah. Um, mate, well, why don't we just jump straight in the deep end because I know that's your style. Yeah. Love jumping in the deep end of things and head straight into the the period of uh, detention you spent at Broken Hill Prison and how you ended up there. Yeah, it's a long story. We've got, we got a bit of time. Uh, so it all started, well, it all started when I was born. <laughs> and I grew up in England. I spent 20 years there. Skip forward to, I was about 24. It was about four years ago. Uh, 28 now, and I was... Yeah, I just returned back to Byron Bay and I was cruising around, living in my van, going to hang out with all my old mates and skipping out to like Blues Fest and shit and having a ripper of a time, enjoying being back on in the Rainbow region. And then, um, yeah, had some bloody good times catching up with mates and going to yeah, see like people like Iggy Pop and fucking Jack Johnson and yeah, all these good music I would love to see for a very long time. And then it was also like mushroom season, so you know, be out picking in the paddocks as mm-hmm. you do up here. I know it well. And yeah, getting about you know the mycelium side of life and using it to kind of yeah be creative, uh, have bit more expanded awareness and just kind of be a side guide to kind of keep you on the track of being, you know, trying to always grow and to be a better person kind of thing. And then, yeah, I remember one one day I was, yeah, on the phone to my mate Jez, um, Jez Price, over, he lives over in Gracetown in Margaret River and he's a mad, mad charger from NZ. And he just got me this job on this mine site about two hours out of Margaret River, and I was fucking frothing to be over there. Like, it was like two weeks on, one week off. And I was like, I haven't been to Mark's for years, so I was like really excited to go and, yeah, be uh, earning some good money to be saving up to buy some property in New Zealand. And then, yeah, getting to spend all my days off surfing in Mark's through the winter. So, yeah, he just got me this job over there, and, and this is like a trade assistant. And then he's like, right, well, you got to be over here in like a week to start. So I was like, fuck, all right. I pretty much just packed up, packed up the life I had over here in Byron, which wasn't too much by that point. I'd only been here for about five weeks this time, just living in my van. So everything I had was in there, and my surfboards and shit. And I was like, yeah, going to hit the road. And uh, yeah, I had, I looked on Google Maps and I think it was, yeah, about four days worth of driving to get there and I gave myself about five days <laughs> to go make it to get to the uh, medical appointment to do my drug and alcohol test as you have to do to pass your, pass your whatever bloody to get onto the mine site. Mm. So I was pretty clean at that point, just been doing some mushrooms and, and stuff like that. But then I was like, right, I'll get off the, no, no more smoking weed until, you know, I get over there and pass the test and, and all that. And I actually f- end up finding an, a nug, one nug of weed 
when I went to Belongil to go for a surf one day, just before I left, in this uh, little tobacco pouch. And I was like, oh, score. Like, I'll save that for when I get to the other side. <laughs> and then, yeah. Uh, yeah, I kept it in my little in my van. And then my mate Tommy actually gave me some... I had some mushrooms that I'd picked and dried out, and my mate Tommy gave me a few more. Um, he was like, yeah, you take these for your trip. Uh, that's probably the thing that that uh, made it even more eventful was just having that extra little amount of mushrooms. And I also had some changa, like some DMT I got off a friend, which uh, yeah, I hadn't tapped into yet. I was going to, yeah... Maybe tap into that out in the Nullarbor or something, just like out in the desert and fucking, yeah, tap into that realm. But yeah, so I was a bit loaded up. <laughs> oh, and I also had a... <laughs> it's all plants though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's all it's plants. It's all shit that grows in the ground. <laughs> yeah. And I also had a little bag of ketamine, which I swapped for a tent. But <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't from plants, but... Nah. Although... Probably like, from some plant. Well, apparently... Thing. Ketamine, there's a very similar molecule that occurs in coral, and uh, little fish chew on the coral. Coral mean. Yeah, well, <laughs> exactly. And uh, it makes sense because, you know, little tiny fish are under constant stress of being eaten alive. So I guess True. just by nibbling on the coral, you know, it gives them a, a bit of a, a disassociation from the <laughs> constant peril that they exist in. Seahorse tranquilizer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally what it is. Uh, I, I don't know. You, do your own research on that one. That was, uh, I think, that was just something I heard on a podcast or at the pub. So anyway, carry on. Maybe, yeah. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I had a little bit of stuff. I had enough to enough to enough for a party. All therapeutic substances, yeah. by the way, uh, which is an important distinction to make. It's uh, you know all of these things. The only reason they're illegal. Let's not fucking let's not muddy up the conversation. It's because of a fucking pig of a U.S. president, Nixon. Uh, who uh, passed the Controlled Substances Act in 1970, I think, uh, to decriminalise <laughs> uh, sorry, mushrooms and marijuana because of the threat they posed to the Vietnam War effort, the military-industrial complex, the pharmaceutical-industrial complex, the prison-industrial complex. This comes a reptile. So we're still living mm. under these uh, archaic laws that were you know, made up for no good reason. Yeah, just keeping people toeing the line. That they've drawn out. Yeah, and, and these substances the are, are deeply therapeutic. Yeah, man. like they they've helped me so much with uh, so many of the mental and emotional disturbances that I deal with as a result of complex PTSD and uh, many concussions from football and fighting. Um, so you know, I'll only put therapeutic. I'll only put substances in me that have a therapeutic application. So, you know, ketamine is used therapeutically, MDMA is used therapeutically, mushrooms are used therapeutically, uh, marijuana is used uh, therapeutically, CBD, THC, um, you know, anything beyond that. You know, LSD as well has a therapeutic application, but Mm. I don't fuck with anything that doesn't have some kind of therapeutic application. That's my policy. You seem to be on a pretty similar train, but uh, in the eyes of old senior sergeant Gary Conehead... (laughs) It's Tidak Bagus, my friend. <coughs> so, so what happens? You, yeah. you load it up uh, for a trip to Gracetown via Cactus. Yeah, yeah. So I was planning my route to go down, down the Nullarbor and fucking through there. So I was yeah. loaded up on plant medicines like so many of us have <laughs> yeah. done before. Well, you've uh, got to take them with you if it's in medicine, you know. Like you can't, you can't get over there and expect to find all this stuff that only grows in season. So, you know, you've got to... 
you know, we're in the place where it's abundant. So I was, yeah, taking them. It wasn't like going to last me forever, but, you know, you wanted to have a bit to mm. keep you going. Because, yeah, I'd actually been doing a lot of like reading and stuff about psilocybin and how it, um, it's newfound therapeutic uses. And yeah, I'd seen a lot of articles and the research that have been going on. And I actually lost my mum to like suicide like two years earlier. And I remember when I read that article, I was just like, my heart just sank so hard because she'd been through the system of, you know, the medical system of how you deal with depression and that with like, you know, SSRIs and stuff like that. And she'd been on and off and, you know, and ultimately you can see the result is that they don't fucking work. You know, mm. if it causes, you know, if you've got these medications to make someone, you know, not feel depressed enough to want to take their own life or can't deal with the anxiety of living, she was living with... You know, she'd had cancer and then it was gone and then, you know, but she had to face the, you know, every three months she'd have to have tests to see if it would come back and that that was the big anxiety kind of mm-hmm. causer. But, yeah, like she and couldn't really... What medications do you know, like SSRIs obviously, but did they have her on any anxiety medication? Like benzodiazepine is a commonly prescribed compound for anxiety, uh, comes in the form of Valium, comes in the form of sleeping tablets, mm-hmm. comes in the form of Xanax. It is also the most addictive substance known to man, or at least it is more addictive than opium, opioids, yeah. heroin. It's harder to get off. Well, imagine living your life with no anxiety, and then like you come off it, and then you start getting anxious. You know, fucking, I want to get anxious. Let's take keep Bro, taking these pills. T- when you come you off it, life it's fucking turned up to a 11, 12, yeah. 13. You know, it's I had a mate, it ever was. rest his soul, uh, who died of a, a drug overdose from. Uh, a mix of probably alcohol, uh, benzos, mm. and potentially some opioids in the mix. I'm not Deathly exactly combo. sure. Yeah. Deadly combo. But even the alcohol and the benzos is enough to do it. Yeah. Alcohol and um, also opioids enough to do it. But this guy tried to get off the Xanax. And, uh, mate, this guy, I think I might have told this story on the podcast before, but this guy's a big cunt man and, and, and a pretty infamous character. Lovely guy. Yeah. Big man, heavy energy, um, could throw and. Uh, he was staying uh, in between two of my mates and he tried to come off uh, cold turkey, come off the, the benzos. Yeah. And he had a complete psychotic break and he was, this was in Bali, and he was convinced that he was um, locked up in Karabakan and he was like, you know, kind of whispering to my mates going, man, you got to help me get out of here. And they had to help like uh, essentially fake an escape. So... They had to just go along with what wow. he was believing. They jumped in a car together. They they were driving away <laughs> from the the police and security, and uh, you know basically eventually until the, the kind of psychosis ran its course. But but that's the level of mental disturbance you you're talking about when you talk about coming off benzos. Yeah, yeah. I'm not actually sure if she was on benzos and stuff like that. Mm. I don't really know too much of the details. Into but I definitely know that the antidepressants were yeah. And, and just quickly on antidepressants, this is also in the scientific literature in a book called Lost Connection uh, by Johan Hari. Um, like they create such a small amount of serotonin, SSRIs, that in fact like they're less effective in mood boosting than a good sleep like or exercise. Or like the, the, the scientific literature has been pretty resolute on this for a long time now that mm. SSRIs are largely ineffectual uh, compared to various other pretty common sense methods, yeah, i.e. wild, eh? 
just structuring your life in a healthy way with routine sleep, sleeping hours, um, a, a fairly healthy diet, exercise, community, um, you know, just a, a, a pretty fundamental life. Uh, balance really, isn't it? It's yeah. balance, but it's also discipline yeah. in, in creating the conditions for love and happiness and, and gratitude. And, um, you know, the discipline part is where we all fall over, <laughs> you know, smoking pot too close to bed, um, you know. Living, just, in, living in the distraction shire. Bro, <laughs> on, so on Instagram, you know, that yeah. shit cooks your fucking sleep like nothing else. Dude, looking at a screen I'm, I'm before so, bed. I'm terrible for it. I'm Bro. so bad for it. I just like fire myself. I'm just like. Then when you come out of it, you're like, what the fuck was I just doing? What did I even learn? Like, what did I gain from, like, I didn't find anything out. I just, like, seen some stuff. It's also, like, you're switching through fucking, like, I don't know how fast you can switch between, like, all these different worlds, all these different people's life. Your brain just goes on one chain of thought, next, 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 and it's none of it's linked. It's all just, like, scattered. It can't be good for <clears throat> lucid thinking and cognitive function to have your brain just getting scrambled by so yeah. many non-coherent inputs and you know basically instagram the premise or the 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 key attraction of it is just comparing yourself to others for sure it's and what it's you're like, constantly doing on that it's way more people than you can ever compare yourself into you know before these these things ever before instagram and facebook and stuff ever was around like you know to know what your mate's been up to you have to bump into him or hang out and then mm. have a catch-up and have a real connection you know rather than it's like you don't even need to fucking go and see anyone anymore. You can just go. I oh, know. I know what you've been doing. You just check. You're just checking up on what people have been up to, like passively. It's just, it's such a strange kind of thing to like think how, even maybe not five years ago, but definitely ten years ago, like this wasn't the way you interacted with you know people you're close with. Absolutely, and I mean, just from a purely like, just understand this about any kind of light or phone screen, is uh, that. They've studied this and uh, they can detect the blast radius two days later um, if you've looked at a screen within, I think it's like an hour of going to bed. The blast radius. Yes. So they can see in the fMRI brain Mm. scans that your sleep has been disrupted, not just for that night, but the second night. True. That's one little blast of white light before going to bed, man. And so, you know understand this also that you have no hope of having good mental health without good sleeping patterns and good mm. sleep it's not not possible so anyway back to um back to the back to our scheduled program <laughs> so yeah you know you've been so, through this immense tragedy yeah, of losing your mother and, yeah. and obviously you know one of the bits uh, of information that comes through the literature is that you know these these illnesses these mental disturbances like anxiety and stuff mm. are inherited genetically yeah and that creates a lot of fear you know if, if you lose someone who you're related to to suicide i can only imagine let alone your mother and uh, like the the grief is enough you know Gr- grief is stress grief yeah. is it, it, in the body it shows up as stress it's heavily poisonous can create depression and anxiety in its own right but then also on top of that having the knowledge that you know your mother has passed and and, and you're a very high chance of also developing this condition i don't know like the it's the science around epigenetics and and the genetic um inheriting of Mm. stuff like that it's a little bit inconclusive as far as i know and there's also um according to you know 
there's emerging science saying that you can change your genetic coding. Yeah. Um, but of course, you want to be extra vigilant in yeah, terms it's, of it's steering clear though, like, of the black dog and mushrooms was a part of that. Yeah, well, it, it wasn't really my train of thought um, with it because I'd actually only really been introduced to mushrooms probably like, fuck, it would have been like a month maybe before. Oh, no, I had them a couple of times there in Thailand when I was like 19, 18, and then a couple of times out in New Zealand when I was like 22, and then we only gone like pick them and stuff when I was, yeah, here in Byron Bay, which would have been only a few weeks before she passed because that's, that's where I was when she when she did go. And then, yeah, I hadn't really thought too much about like the the inherited kind of um, condition as far as that was. It was more... I'd only just kind of discovered the real, the real interesting, like, you know, the psychedelic states you can get into and, like, how therapeutic it can be. Like, you know, before that, this happened, well, yeah, then I didn't really have much to be thera- therapeutically treating myself with. Because um, up until that point, my life was pretty fucking, pretty cruisy and pretty awesome. You know, mm. I, did, I was living the life of... A young young dude with a good good head on his shoulders and traveling the world, skiing, surfing, living in vans, fucking chasing the chasing not even a dream, just living living on the road and living like the have, dream, brother. Yeah, yeah, like like Kerouac before you, you know, For Kerouac's sure. uh, philosophy being that you know the 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 spice of life is new experience. Yeah, yeah, you know, new experiences. And I was is, always chasing it. Yeah, and. There is a, you know, as we know, Kerouac died as a, a hopeless alcoholic in his, his 50s after living that life. So, you know, anything that he says should be <laughs> looked upon with that kind of context, you know, living at his mother's, I think. True. Um, and I think um, there's a danger in thinking that that new experience has to come from the external world yeah. um, through things like meditation and, and psychedelics. And Wim Hof, um, you know, those new experiences can come in the form of new sensations, which can be created internally through mm. these kind of practices that we're about to get into. Yeah, new, um, new kind of practices that you do. You know, getting yourself into a new state of being in, like, devoting to a, you know, a long-term kind of goal rather than just scooting around doing new shit all the time. That's what I found in the last few years. I guess being being stuck in one place and you know, I guess building upon doing a job for more than three months, doing hanging out at a house for more than, you know, six months and just not constantly having to feel the need to kind of move on, but I guess just settling in and, like, you know, finding ways to make, you know, those longer-term things keep going. But then, you know, I also feel like there's definitely room for, you know, more new experiences to come through, yeah, living life in one spot and you get to, you know... uh, find what's behind these little secret doors in this place where we live you know like when you first come to Byron you're kind of just going out in town all the time you know, and now it's like you go to Woody's you go to <laughs> Cheeky Monkeys you get Chlamydia you've done it all mate I actually only went to Woody's the first time like a month ago <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, flogged by a bouncer at the northern <laughs> oh just... that happened two months ago didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you gotta tick all the boxes mate <laughs> yeah you gotta, there's a lot to do here it's great Get burned by some chick on a log at the pass. You fucking yeah. Yeah. get your car keyed and a 
frozen brick of tofu smashed through your windscreen with a bloody tampon attached to it saying, fuck off, white male toxic cis cunt. <laughs> That's still on really? my list. Yeah. Fuck, happens to me every time I go to the past, man. <laughs> but no. Nah, so yeah, I wasn't really thinking too much about look wasn't so much trying to look after my own mental health at that point because yeah, obviously I was dealing with grief and stuff, but it was pretty I thought it was pretty normal, you know. It wasn't until I guess it had been like a longer time period where yeah, you're like, fuck, you know, still kind of a lot to process in a, an event like that and but I was more like thinking, I was like, fuck, you know, if I could have shown mum, you know, this this way of potentially, you know, coming to try and treat, you know, depression with, you know, the the really good results that seem to be, um, have been researched through like psilocybin therapy and stuff that people say, you know, like one session is better than 10 years of therapy. Yeah, and well, they say... That one uh, therapeutic session of psilocybin can create eight months um, of depression or symptom-free depression. Yeah. So, and for people who are at the end of life dealing with cancer, that's mm. been one of the the hugest uh, bodies of scientific literature they've come up with through the John Hopkins University uh, trials that they've been running over there since that all kind of kicked off about ten yeah. or twenty years ago. But uh, yeah, it, it, mate, yeah, it's it is. I, I can't imagine what that feels like um, to have had the keys or stumbled upon the keys to happiness, um, to you know alleviating this this living hell yeah. that anxiety and depression yeah. is. Although I can, in some ways, relate to the experience of you know now doing a lot of Wim Hof and meditation and ice baths and. Also, you know, have, having poured through the scientific literature over the last five years in such a feverish way to save my own life yeah. and, and wanting to kind of pass that information on. It's kind of why mm. this podcast exists really yeah. in a lot of ways or, or it's taken the direction that it has and um, it's the, the, the living embodiment of this will be the Swellness event and like that's the direction that we're heading. It's, it's, it's getting this information uh, out there and making it accessible um, just to, you know, just just so people know that you know you're not at the end of the road. Yeah. You, know, you might be, be suffering depression and horrendous intrusive thoughts of self harming and harming others, but um, you know you've got a lot of tools at your disposal, and the least you can do uh, before you know dropping everyone around you into a vat of grief and stress via yeah. taking your own life is to try all these methods, try all these tools, because that's what. That's what I, you know, having lost a few people um, to suicide over the years now. One of the things I've learned about it is that the most brutal thing about it, and this is why suicide clusters occur, um, mm. I think, anyway, it's that when you take your own life, what you essentially do is drop everyone who ever loved you into a, a, a bubbling cauldron of grief and stress. You, you drop everyone to their lowest point you know you, mm. you obliterate um the emotional state and, and mental health of all those people around you um while at the same time showing them a way out yeah the way out being taking your own life so you bring people down to their lowest point whilst also setting a very poor example 
Mm. It's, it's like a, a super harsh judgment. What I'm saying is harsh in a sense, but I think it's the truth. Um, and, and it's not to blame people for taking their own lives because up until now, up until, you know, whenever you come across meditation, Wim Hof, yoga, healthy eating, sleep, until you come across all this knowledge, you can't be blamed because you didn't have a choice. Mm. You know, capitalism doesn't offer you any avenues out of mental illness. No. It gives you these fucking pills the, the, that don't the work. The news doesn't tell you how to fucking <laughs> drive. <laughs> Mate, the news will you. drive you deeper <laughs> into the abyss. Um, we have these these pills that don't work. We Our whole culture is powered, is fueled by pushing fucking processed foods, gambling, yep. alcohol, um, you know, material trinkets like cars you can't afford, houses you can't afford. Like it's that's it's all fueled by that shit, ramming that an, shit down your throat. Illusion that that is happiness and that will save you from the the eternal fucking wheel of life, which is you know work and suffering and growing and like it's all just temporary kind of like band aids to like I don't know, it's all it's all part of your growth. But then you know you only go on for so long before like oh, okay maybe that's not. That, man, that's not the you know the sustainable kind of way to think that you're just gonna carry on. Like, yeah, like health is wealth. Like that's yeah. the truest. And and it doesn't matter how rich you are. If you're not healthy, you'll fucking never feel rich. Yeah, <laughs> you'll never feel happy. You'll never feel loved or love itself. So, um, you know, materialism in that way falls over immediately um, because the people who success and thrive in the material world. Uh, often it, it, it requires being an absolute cunt to to survive and thrive in capitalism. And yeah. if, you, if you're a cunt, man, like the way it works, like uh, emotionally, like you, you kind of know that you're a cunt. If you're well, yeah, you're just constantly stressing and at odds with the world and um, competition. It, it, it's, you're competing, you're paranoid, man. looking out for you know dominance, power. Well, if I'm going to fuck someone over, then someone you're expecting someone is going to fuck you over because you you've created that reality of like what you're willing to do to someone and, you know, someone's obviously willing to do that to you because you live in the same world. Like. And a competition, by another word, is dualism, you know. It's mm. what the Buddhist... It's separation. Separation, the yeah. idea that you and the next guy are different and you have different goals, but everyone has the same goal and the goal is to uh, experience love and happiness. and, and like, To die a peaceful death. <laughs> yeah. I mean... Um, yeah, I don't know if people are thinking of dying a lot of the time. People should. That's one thing that fucking holds the whole world back, I think, the fear of death. Because that's why you're chasing this other stuff to make, to put off like the thing that's, you know, look at the whole COVID pandemic. What's all that about? Fear of people dying. It's like fear of something that's inevitable going to happen anyway. Just shut the whole world down, put everyone into fucking stop, stress, Lose your job, lose your business, turning people against each other, all because fundamentally the government couldn't let people carry on knowing that they weren't doing anything to stop people from dying, which everyone's going to die. And that's not to be like down or morbid. It's like it's a, that's the only truth in life is that you're going to die. So to Base, to stop the whole world and cause immense suffering just to alleviate people's fear of that for a hot minute whilst this pandemic's going on and to then, you know, 
Well, it's completely changed the course of modern civilization now, and it's all through fear. Whereas, you know, if you could have given people the best tools, the best helpful information, knowledge of being healthy, eating well, getting their sunlight, getting their exercise, these things which are far more effective at fighting a, a fucking common flu than, you know, telling everyone, locking everyone in their homes and telling you can't go see your grandma, you're going to fucking kill her. Mm. <laughs> like, little Timmy's killed his grandma, you're, <laughs> you're going to live with that guilt for the rest of your life, you little motherfucker, because <laughs> you didn't wear a fucking face mask on the bus. Like, what a load of horseshit. And like how it's just fucking poisoned so many people's brains to the point of like, you know, I couldn't imagine what it would be being like a kid growing up with, in this, just, it's just caused a very strange reality. Mm. Based on you know an irrational fear, but then fuck you know death is scary because it's you know it's the ultimate. That's when your ego fully will die because every everything you've ever been as a person, you have to let go of because that person's not going to exist anymore, and that's what people are so tied onto. Ego dissolution is such an interesting one because every time you take a significant dose of psilocybin, which we did together actually the other day, uh, we did a a Mayan style. Uh, psilocybin Fuck, protocol it was, it was great which was essentially uh, this is something I got from the book How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan which is now a show on Netflix um, but the Mayan style psilocybin protocol is you. this is how they used to do it 10,000 years ago the Mayans um, wake up before dawn dip magic mushrooms in a honey eat them and drink cacao as the sun comes up and uh, yeah we did that together and anyway uh, just to go back to you know, what it happens with every significant dose of psychedelics is the ego dissolution, the ego death. Uh, it's, it, it's such a kind of painful but liberating experience for your mm. ego to dissolve in front of you and you're watching it because, you know, that ego, which is contained in the default mode network of the brain, uh, which fMRI scans show, you know, the default mode network is where it's really quietened down on yeah. psychedelics. Um, is it just like the pattern of normal thought? No. Yeah, so yeah. like the default mode network, basically it, it hardens over time to block out unnecessary information and, and give you kind of tunnel vision to allow you to achieve the goals or the, the or, you know, whether it's cooking dinner, like, you know, it just allows you to act with speed and efficiency in the world as opposed yeah. to, you know, when you're on acid or mushrooms, you're so distracted by colors and sounds and, and people and energy, like everything takes on this really intense glow and Mm. and that's because um the default mode network is letting in all this extra information but part of that is also the dissolution of the ego the dissolving of the ego and it's such a a painful and liberating process as i said but you know on the other side of it you get a clean slate to to work off you get to Mm. recreate um you know your mental thinking patterns your behavioral patterns where are you uh, going to put your energy where you're going to put your what energy you can let go of what you can move forward to yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's, it's so sad though i don't know if it's sad but it, it's a it's interesting or it's ironic that you know if ego dissolution is what happens as you're passing on to the the next realm it's um kind of unfortunate that people are only experiencing that then 
Well, yeah, and, and not earlier what, on in life because that's what that book psychedelic experience was about. I'm telling you, it's, like, it's a preparation for death. It's pretty much right. what the psychedelic experience is. It's like who wrote the psychedelic experience? It's a translation of the Tibetan Book of the Dead by like, Timothy Leary and Richard Alpert. Ram Dass, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is it's yeah, it's like a, it's a dons. guide. It's a guidebook, end of life kind of guide, and also yeah, if you're going to undertake like I guess like a ceremonial kind of um, psychedelic experience is cool. It's, it's like that. It's yeah. It's a guide. It has things, preparation things for death. Gonna, yeah. yeah. This because one of the things when, when you come out of that dissolved ego state and you, you your ego start that starts to rebuild itself on the the flip side of the trip. You know you're often overcome with a renewed zeal for you know connecting with those people who previously you had some issue with. Yeah. You know maybe it was family members, friends, whatever. You're suddenly you're seeing things in a different light. You know you're, you're you kind of like, let down that wall, that that wall or that block in between you is kind of dissolved, and you kind of you've seen it for what it is, and it's just like it's just a block which you've created in your own mind. Exactly. And it's like you have to be able to instead of being in the mind, you have to be able to look at it from an outside perspective. Is what you you know when you get high, when you're not on psychedelics, you kind of you can view things like objectively, and then it's like oh. I can see this as, as an objective kind of thing, then it's not me. So then I can transmute it and just like overcome it. And then in doing that, and then you rebuild new, you know, when you think about the person, you're not thinking about, oh, fuck them. When you go and reach out and you, you create a new fucking neural pathway and a new bloody, you know, that's neuroplasticity. That's changing, changing the way you think about, you know, think about things and, yeah, you see, when when you see it happen, it's like when you can become aware of it happening, it's really like it's really cool. But then you also realize, like, fuck, how long have we been in that fucking state for? You know, how cra- and all that time was so wasted. Yeah, I was thinking in this like really egocentric, you know, hardened kind of perception way where you know it wasn't serving me. It was just uh, just creating a blockage between me and the person, or or, or me and whatever it is like uh you know and the beautiful beautiful thing about shaking free from those perceptions and that hardened neural plasticity is that yeah it just gives you an opportunity to start afresh and experience the world through that christ consciousness through that Mm. buddha nature through that that way of being that is far more based in compassion and forgiveness and love and gratitude and happiness and camaraderie and solidarity like all these things that every ancient creed and scripture will you know expound the benefits of but it's so hard to reach those places when you're in an <clears throat> egocentric mind that's been conditioned by the capital consumerist model which yeah. is like i said run look at yourself powered by poison yeah, yeah survival competition and like i'm very much i'm a victim to that like big time like i have i go through states of like you know you end up like your familiarity breeds content, like contempt, contempt. Yeah. yeah. Um, what does that content? <laughs> it doesn't breed content. <laughs> Sometimes it does. Uh, it breeds contempt. Like, you know, you have, you know, a person who's like a really good friend of yours. And like, and then suddenly you're just fucking seething with hate for some reason, some annoyance, some like irritability, but, and then it's you know, I can realize it's within me, so it's it's my problem. 
but then not being able to overcome it or like not feeling feeling something's changed, something's off, like, but then it's, you know, but it's just kind of, yeah, holding on to that false reality mm. and kind of building upon it. And, and, like, and it makes you goes. sick. Like, yeah, <clears throat> any kind of problem that you have with somebody else, it's poisoning you and it's often um, due to distrust, you know. You don't trust someone's motives, like maybe they're looking out for themselves when you think they should be looking out for you or whatever, but distrust produces cortisol, the stress hormone, it'll make you sick, like... Mm. And, you know, you don't have to take psychedelics to snap out of this this way of thinking about someone. You can yeah. meditate. Meditation gets you to the exact same place that psychedelics does. It just takes longer. It's more of a gradual process. Mm. But, you know, 20 minutes is enough to reshape, to calm down and to see things a bit clearer. Whenever you calm down, you see things in yeah. a, a clearer way. And it was interesting. Like, you had a, a good time with that trip. Yeah. That where you took the other I had a great time. But I didn't. Like, you know, I... I for me, it was, um, you know, it was a little, I got the, uh, the setting right, but the set wrong. So by yeah. that, I mean, the setting was perfect. We're out in the bush, uh, near where we live and the set was wrong. I was a little bit tired. Um, so a little bit underslept. So, you know, that that's not conducive to good mental health at, at any, for, you know, for any reason or at any point. We also didn't eat or drink properly like we had just cacao and water so I, I, my body was craving food and, and yeah. protein and stuff that it usually gets i broke the structure of how i live for this this protocol and because i broke the structure you know the body craves structure and routine without it um you know the body doesn't it's expecting food now it's not getting it, it starts <laughs> sending you messages in the form of anxiety it's expecting like you know a rest at this point in the day like yeah. structure is really important to the, the circadian rhythms that she like that's really important to the human body um, so I had like a pretty negative experience and one of the epiphanies that you get or that I got, and you always get these when you take big hits of psychedelics, you know, these undeniable truths. Yeah. The, <clears throat> this is why South American tribes, instead of going to the doctor, they take mushrooms because it'll always tell you what you need to do and yeah. you know it's true. And for me, the message was that you know, psychedelics aren't necessarily for me. Like meditation is, is a better method for achieving that goal that psychedelics give me because meditation, <clears throat> probably because of the amount of trauma and shit I'm dealing with, um, it's always a jarring experience. Yeah, right. So it's always pretty gnarly for me. I, I seldom have fun or pleasant or yeah, optimistic trips although on the other side of them i always feel better mm. so you know the process is difficult but it gets me to a good place but meditation can get me there in a, a much more gradual pleasant way without the jarring fucking shaking free of the the ego and default <laughs> mode network you know it's, yeah. it's a it's like a micro dosing in terms of um you know you chip away at the ego as opposed yeah. to just blasting it out of the fucking ego stratosphere. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to cop a couple tracks from the Wizards, the Couch Wizard. Throughout today's episode, this one is Firemaster. And just a warning, as good as it sounds, right now, go and cop them live because it will melt your fucking face off.
anyway, let's get back to uh, the journey, bro. Okay, yeah. So that that that's basically covers the reason why I was, you know, delving into having mushrooms, psychedelics, and all the rest of it. Because, you know, and, and seeing the research come out, it's like, well, fuck. I had an idea, but then, like, this is just like, well, I would like, you know, I feel like it would be good to be able to delve in deeper with these, um, with this medicine and to see what it's really about in order to, you know, perhaps, it, um, in order to perhaps put, turn people onto it if they're going through tough times, um, in a medical setting, of course, or whatever they choose. But, um, yeah, so I loaded up. You load up load your fucking up. set sail <laughs> yeah, in your inconspicuous van with OM stickers on it and fucking rusted panels, discolored panels, couple of single fins on the roof. Exactly. Yeah, pretty much exactly that. Although my single fin was inside the car. <laughs> That's it. Um, yeah, it was a van I got for 800 bucks from, um, was it old? I think it was a two, oh, 98 Toyota Town Ace. We got it for 800 bucks and fucking out. You know, I spent more on Rego than I did on the car. And it was great. But I also had 800 bucks in my bank account, which I thought I could probably just about spend all on fuel to get me across Nullarbor and out to, to Margaret River. So I set off from Byron one morning. It was about 9 o'clock. And yeah, I set set off to head pretty much directly southwest. And I spent a couple of days driving through, yeah, like New England and which is a real real beautiful place and um yeah, it's kinda of like more pretty than old England. That's where I'm from originally. <laughs> Whereabouts uh, <laughs> in uh, England are you from? I'm from a little a little hamlet called Hill Head in a little village called Stubbington, a little town called Fairham, between two cities. Portsmouth and Southampton in the, the the county of Hampshire, which is about two hours south of London. True. Yeah, classic. Yeah. Um, yeah, nice place to grow up. And, yeah, so I was cruising through New England and I was just tapping into all of these Joe Rogan and Graham Hancock podcasts and, like, Graham Hancock was talking about, you know, that, uh, the psychedelics using, like, ancient Egypt and there's all these stone carvings of these like god figures holding these these mat, their bags you know the bags of their psychedelics in it and like how they you know it was such an ingrained part of their culture and like you know how they can well you can just see what they were capable of and, uh, when that was you know part of their a solid part of their kind of culture the ancient Greeks too right they yeah. they uh what was the the study that came out recently they, they found a cup yeah, they found cups with like ergot residue yeah, in it. So LSD. when yeah. they were having these big like uh, big gatherings, musical, um, philosoph- philosophical where, kind yeah, of meetings, they'd all join. They're all getting to pissed me. on wine and yeah, ergot. These yeah. like dosed up fucking grape juice with Sid <laughs> and just having the most lucid <laughs> conversations, like the dawn of civilization. Psychedelics yeah. have been. They basically. There's the stoned ape theory, of course, um, mm. which suggests that, you know, uh, mushrooms basically are what shot human beings in from being unconscious primate, like Neanderthals, into being conscious human beings. Yeah. It was like 200,000 to, I don't know, what was it, like 2 million years of, of 
chasing woolly mammoths and eating the mushrooms that grew out of their shit. Yeah. Um, which is what the Neanderthals did, and they <laughs> they reckon that it eventually <laughs> created the neural. Well, yeah, it's like an upgrade. Like, yeah. And well, then, from being from not having ever experienced psychedelics to then having, you feel like a full upgrade. You feel you feel like a different kind of. You're on a different plane. You're on a different. You're playing a different game, then you know. Yeah. Like your life is a different thing to what you thought it once was. So no. it's not only and you can't go back. Yeah, you can never go back. It's not only created <laughs> consciousness; it's then also through the ancient Greeks created civilization as yeah. we know it. Yeah. And uh, and it was creating a movement of peace and love and anti-war and anti-corruption, like a utopian thinking around labor, around sexuality, around race, around uh, gender. It was creating this and they fucking shut it down. The pig, Nixon, uh, and, and, and every fucking dog cunt that's followed in his footsteps. You're all grubs. Um, but anyway, so crook. you're about to get up. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not but a crook. <laughs> you're about to get done up by one yeah. of these fucking crooks. I was so about to find out. How does it go down here? You, so, you start tracking west. So tracking west, and I'm like listening to this podcast. I'm like, fuck yeah, like I fucking knew it. I knew all this shit. Like I had a feeling, but I fucking knew it. Like this stuff is good. I'm gonna kind of spend, you know, I'm gonna incorporate it into my life and into, you know, my future and like. Because what you're saying, what they're saying in this podcast and stuff, it all is making sense and like it feels good to be a part of like something which is, you know, spans spans the dawn of fucking time, you know, like rather than the strange, like the society we live in now is built up off not very long in terms of, you know, the whole time humans have been around. We've only been around with smartphones for fucking. 10 years max and like and yeah that's what we base all our fucking life around now it's like we're living and yeah another thing this is actually a chapter I'm writing in the book um, it's like the law and like drugs and like for the 99.9% of the time humans have ever been alive you've always been able to have a fucking handful of mushrooms in your hand and have no consequence like only in this very short time period where you know drugs have become illegal from the war on drugs and the Nixon administration and all the rest of it, only now in this time is is that ever been a problem, ever, mm. in the history of man. Like, yet this is how we are told to view the world and see the world and that's what we've got to base our morality off is off the legality of certain substances, regardless of what they're, you know, why they've been classified as dangerous, non-therapeutic or, you know, hazardous to health. Um... And yeah, it just shook that out of my brain. I was like, yeah, of course, like, because we are the byproduct of what's all come before us, and what's all come before us has been built around a society which includes these substances mm. in their growth, and now it's been taken away. Totally, it's like it's been taken where's, away. Where's the and fucking look, sense in that? If where's you, the you, sense if you, if in society? Trying to grow and like try if and come this far. Why take away the the fuel? And try and find the sense in capitalism now. It's a fucking crapshoot, <laughs> yeah. mate. There's yeah. n- every cunt knows it's a it's a write off. Like yeah. everyone, and the hard part is figuring out a an antidote or a solution. But yeah, we clearly look like a society that has removed one of the crucial ingredients to human evolution from it. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, that's what. That's, that's what, what that's what dissolves your ego. It means you can see yourself as the same as everyone else. You can connect, connect, and treat other people as you would like to be treated, and like that's that's where you know 
teamwork comes in and fucking, you know, non, non, not viewing everyone as separate, then that's what, you know, that's how you can build fucking pyramids. You're working together, not, well, I don't know how they were built maybe, but aliens did it, but. Aliens were on drugs, yo. How <laughs> 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 you think they got their brains so big? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, driving west, listening to this podcast, frothing. And I was just like, yep, yeah, I'm on the right track. They were talking about, there's one bit, I remember I was driving down through this little gorge and they are talking about how when the soul leaves the body, when you die, the portal back to the spirit world is through the Milky Way. And through like Orion's belt. And I've always, always looked at Milky Way and Orion's belt and had like this just mad connection and feeling with it. And I remember when I heard that and I was like, Yeah. And I almost felt like crying. I was like, Fuck, yeah, it makes it's like it's just an ancient I think it was the uh, Polynesians or someone. Uh, I'm not sure exactly you have to listen to the podcast. There's one I think it was the second or th- maybe even the first one that Graham Hancock did with Joe Rogan. Anyway, we'll get um, what's Joe Rogan's helper guy. Mm. L- look that up. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was on I was on a good trip. It's frothing. Carried on, and then I think I was day, I was day two. In and I've been I drive fourteen hours a day, and then I pulled up at night time. Did a bit of stretching, a bit of yoga under the moonlight, and. Rolled a bunch of ciggies to keep me going for the trip. And then I also got a couple of Dexies off a friend before I left Byron, which Dexies is like uh, Dexamphetamine, which is like that. It's more, it's uh, like Adderall. Yeah, basically rhythm. speed. Yeah, keep you up. Yeah. Keep you up for doing long drives. So I was like, sweet. ADD medication, study aids, yeah. et cetera. Shit that they, they tend to put seven-year-olds on this shit when they're disruptive at school, but they can also be useful on long drives. <laughs> yeah, or studying or any of the, any of the kind. Um, yeah, I think it was the next night I'd had one of these in the afternoon I was just going I can't remember exactly where I was But I was getting into like Kind of deserty territory Like outback Proper outback And um, I Was Driving And I had a couple of close calls With some kangaroos Had one kind of bounce Into the side of my van Like into the side door And then just bounce off and I was like, looked around, I was like, well, fuck, he's, he's gone, he must be all right. Had another one, like, just kind of brushed the front of my fucking van. And then I was kept going, and I was on my fucking phone trying to change the song, or I was messaging someone back or something. I looked up, and bam, fucking kangaroo smashes right into my front right, the passenger side of my car. And I was just like, fuck, like, Hear the glass of the, you know, the um, the indicator covers and the, yeah, you know, the lights and stuff like going all, all across the road. And I was like, oh, shit. And so I fucking reversed back to where I was and I seen this poor little kangaroo there, with a little Joey in its pouch, fucking still kind of alive. And I was like, fuck. Like, so I, um, first I was just trying to get all this bloody crap off the road. Um, and then, yeah, pulled off, pulled the kangaroo off the road, and it was still alive. And then I was just back in my car. To, I was gonna grab my knife, and I was like, "Fuck, I should kill it and put it out of this misery." And then by the time I came back, it was dead. So I was like, "Damn!" But then also on that trip, 
I had said to myself, if I would, if I do kill a kangaroo, I'm gonna take some of its meat and mm. eat it, so Smart. it doesn't, so it doesn't go yeah. to waste. Yeah, absolutely. But I didn't, didn't do that. <laughs> no, I was skinning. I was, I was <laughs> had this little knife. It was about four inches long, not too sharp. Yeah. And I was like, fuck, trying to like, you know, think about how to fix my bloody van so I could keep driving, you know, another three days. Just strap it to the roof on <laughs> top of the single. <laughs> what were you oh. thinking? Oh, dude. Yeah. Hockey, couple hockey straps, you were. I know. But I'd seen that many dead kangaroos on the road. I was like, it'll get, it's going to get eaten by the birds, the buzzards, the vultures, the fucking mm. whatever's out there. So it's not going to go to waste. I'd love to stay in like Kukuda, but I've kind of got somewhere to, to be. <laughs> so, and I was fucking a long way from like next town. Mm. Where I had this car come past and I, as, I, as I was duct taping the bumper back on, these two boys pulled up and they were like, oh, yeah, probably next town's going to be, um, fuck, next town, well, Kenya. But then after that, Broken Hill is probably the nearest place you'd be able to get to where you'd be able to fix it, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And I was like, all right, cheers for that. So I was about four hours from Will Kenya um, and about five from Broken Hill. So I drove on for a little bit longer and then I was like, yeah, fuck, probably time to... Cool night before, you know, I have to any more <laughs> accidents. So I pulled up on the side of the road, a little truck stop, and the stars are out. It's beautiful. And I was, yeah, I just restrung my guitar and started writing my first ever song. Um, it was, oh, there's a couple actually. There's one, it was called Dirtbag. And the other one was just like a blues song about my trip in Mexico, Baja. Dirtbag, I love that. <laughs> man, the, the the style of life that you're living is one that is very beloved by basically everyone who listens to this podcast. Yeah. Um, I live like this for much of my twenties. It's uh, you know shit kicking around in a van, <laughs> smoking pot <laughs> with um great. you know fucking who knows what uh, hiding under the seats in various hidden <laughs> compartments. Um, you know just going from. Surf town to surf town, absolutely milking it uh, all through Asia. We've actually both ridden a motorbike uh, <laughs> yeah. around Southeast Asia randomly. And um, done that yesterday. Yeah, the, the, sh- the shit kicking existence, the dirtbag existence, it is an absolute rite of passage in this country and this culture for people in the early 20s. And, you know, it's great, man. Like, the, I don't have a bad word to say about it. it, it I think it nah. makes you a fundamentally better person. You, You're so open the whole time. It, it, like, It's just, a classical pilgrimage. Yeah. It's almost like a holy, holy passage for uh, for men coming of age. It's good that we have something yeah. that we can come of age through a rite of passage because, you know, the capitalist kind of system is so devoid of rites of passage, Passages from boyhood to manhood, none of that shit really exists. Sure. But like in getting intact into a job in that that those periods of your life is like that's when you've got no responsibilities. That's when you got no, mm. nothing you need to fucking tie onto. Like and you meet people in all these it. cultures, and you, you you know any semblance of racism or any of that kind of shit fucking immediately gets sucked out of you because yeah. you, you you know you, you're benefiting from so much goodwill in all these strange places from all these strange people that you might have had some preconceived notion about, but exactly, then you're yeah. facing up to them talking you just completely them. Washed. That or, part of like any kind of social condition, or just like those yucky kind of disease parts of society, just wash off you because you're like, oh, they're all bullshit. They're all based on nothing, mm, hatred. Mm. Um, but yeah, loving the dirt bag. Like it went, I'm a dirt bag darling, got no shoes on my feet. I'm a dirt bag darling, can't afford to eat meat. I ain't, <laughs> ain't got no job, not a penny to my name. 
but I won't play a part in society's game. All right now. Yeah, that was the first song. Fuck it. Well played. (laughs) That was what I was on about. Yeah, loving it. Um, So you wake up and you push on? Wake up, push on. Um, Start driving. I get about an hour down the road and I notice my fuel's going down way quicker than normal. Um, So I pull in somewhere and then check. I think one of me... One of my other spark plugs had stopped going, so I was running on probably two cylinders out of the four. Jesus. <laughs> Managed to get that fixed. I get to Wood Canyon, which is this um, little town. It's a, in, like an indigenous yeah. mob town. I've been, I've uh, spent a bunch of time around Wood Canyon and Indy reporting on the Murray-Darling River and yeah. the very dire straits. So it's in 85% indigenous town, Wood Canyon, and uh, it's a, at the bottom of the Murray-Darling uh, river system and... As a result of that, the cotton farmers upstream of you know they suck all the water up and, and dam parts of the river and what emerges in Wilcannia is this fucking fetid green toxic mm. uh, shit and the river is genuinely generally pretty low and they reckon that when the river's low the crime rate goes up yeah and, um, so there's you know it takes away the life from like you know yeah the Barkindji people yeah. the the bar the, they're named. The people, the mob there are named in honour of the river system, which is known as the Barker. Um, there's actually a fucking red-hot uh, chick indigenous rapper called Barker, I think, Sick. at the moment, uh, from out that way. But, yeah, like, um, you know, because of the, the condition of the environment out there, that's not helping the... The, the the intergenerational trauma that indigenous people were dealing with and mm. uh, as a result i guess a lot of those people in will kenya would end up uh if they run afoul of the law incarcerated in broken hill i was that fine a lot of friends from will kenya <laughs> yeah, yeah i bet you were man. <laughs> yeah uh yeah I and mean, that's something i learned off the initially is how the you know the riv- when the river's sick the people are sick um because that's their that's where they go that's where they get their food fishing you know and it's thriving People in that town were thriving, but yeah, I think it was in a pretty dire state at the time. But yeah, I we went and bought the most expensive roll of duct tape ever bought. For like, I think it was like $18 or something. How's that, eh? In this <laughs> destitute <laughs> indigenous community, like shit is fucking so unimaginably expensive. Yeah. There's barely running water. It's like you've got the most vulnerable people and you put them in the hardest spot and take as much of their money as you yeah. can. And right. it's fucking... Will Kenya is... In the sticks, mate. It's fucking like it, it's ten hours west of Sydney yeah, or something yeah, like that. It's, it, fucking, it's deep. It's no, red, no one's red, going red out there. Red dirt out there. Uh, yeah, and um, yeah. So I fixed up, spent a good hour or two fixing up the, the bumper to a you know kind of good state where it wasn't hanging off. The lights were in a good position. Put remember I had an old pair of Vistler boardies I had stuck in. Um, got them. Got them from City Beach, Perth, back in. Back in 2015 or something. Fuck <laughs> yeah. Free ad for City Beach Perth. <laughs> and uh, City Beach Inaloo, yeah, go for it. Uh, they, yeah, stuck them in behind the light and kept, you know, it, was, it wasn't facing down. My headlight was facing up. It was perfect. Yeah, everything was stuck in there just, just right. I was like, this will get me another three days till I get to, you know, the West Coast and then I can sort it out. Fuck, I can see you becoming a, a brand ambassador for Vistler or City Beach, <laughs> you know, uh, an ex-con doing such... Positive work in the community, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, f- fairly clean sheet. Fairly, oh, yeah, very clean. From where you'd rather be, you know, you're a hardcore <laughs> yeah. surfer. I drink Coronas too, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, don't. I used to. Um, blanket, you going to hang out? Um, yeah, so I carried on from Wilkenia. I was like, sweet. 
oh, next town, Broken Hill, I can do, do some proper shopping, get myself some green tea, get myself a couple of beers for take down to Cactus. Um, and, yeah, just as I left Wilkenia, I had like a, a fairly large microdose of mushrooms. Mm-hmm. I was, I'd just been sent a good playlist by my friend Frankie back in England, and he, uh, yeah, it was a playlist called Froth, and it was... Yeah, full of some frothy tunes, and I was just frothing to listen to them, blasting along the desert, and um, yeah, and I remember seeing the cloud formations above me, just like big layers of high clouds, and I was just like, wow, this looks so sick. I've got the photo on my phone, last photo I took on my phone before I got caught. But yeah, so I pulled into Broken Hill, and I was like, right, I'll get some fuel, I'll get some green tea, and I'll get six pack of VBs. Pulled in. Pulled up the fuel station and the, um, you know, the lights, they ha- you know, the, the price they have on the lights outside, like, not working. I'll go to another one. Power's out in the whole town. I was like, oh, interesting. Um, should have taken out the sign just carry on, but I didn't. I was like, oh, I'll, I might go check out op shops, see if I can find any cool hats. <laughs> Went to go <laughs> find op shop. Yeah, they're fucking closed whilst the power's out as well. I was like, all right. And then I was like, all right, well, I'll just go to Coles, get some green tea. And because, yeah, I was like, oh, I won't have any more Dexies because I'll just have the green tea to keep me up now because I want to fail this drug test. And, and yeah, I can get a couple of beers. I'm pulling up to the roundabout outside of Coles and there's a highway patrol opposite me. And I remember, I remember thinking, I was thinking, I was so cool. I was just like, yeah, cops, cool. And then, like, you know, turned off to go to Coles. And then he comes around roundabout, flicks his lights on, whoop, whoop. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I haven't done anything wrong. I, had not, I was not scared one, one little bit. I pulled up in the car park and I was like, yeah, I'm just, but this just is to be the, honest, I'm on my way, I'm doing, you know, doing nothing wrong. That's, the right, that's right. But this is the problem with the dirtbag existence and it's a problem I'm very familiar with, Ollie. And that's that at any given time, if you were to pull me over or swab me, you're going to find trace elements of something in my system and there's probably going to be some kind of contraband somewhere in my car yeah. i don't even know it's there <laughs> yeah. or maybe i do know it's there but like you know it's uh it's a dicey proposition the, the dirtbag life for no good reason just because of fucking archaic laws as we mentioned yeah. but carry on so i'll get pulled into the car park cop pulls out like behind me to block my escape and i was like oh this is interesting um Cook about is that there? Uh, this is interesting. And he comes up to the car, and he's like, "Go, mate, random breath test." <laughs> all right, all right. Well, I'm like, "Fuck, it's like 11 in the morning." Like, sure. If you think you're gonna get me on this? Then you can keep going. Like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yep. Like, yep. Clean. I was like, "Yep, cool." Like, what do you think I'm doing? Like, he's like, "Oh." And then yeah, random breath test passed that obviously. And then he's um, keeps questioning. He's like, oh, what are you up to? Where you? Oh, yeah. So you got some damage on your front of your vehicle. What's that from? I was like, oh yeah, I hit a hit a kangaroo last night driving, you know, through the desert. Um, fix it up. I was like, yeah, make sure my lights my lights all work fine. Indicator works fine. Like I spent, you know, put new bulbs in and shit. I was like, yeah, it's I'm just uh, on my way. You know, I've got a fit, bit more driving to do, so. Um, yeah, I wanted to make sure it was all legal, you know, still operational. 
And he checks it. Yeah, all good. Left, right, high beams, low beams, no worries. And then he's like, oh, where are you going? Where are you coming from? And then I was just, you know, kind of a little bit high, but in great spirits and just was in no sense of like separation. Didn't think I needed to be dishonest or anything. I was like, yeah, fucking, I'm just driving from Byron Bay over to uh, Margaret River because I got a new job over there in the mines. And um, yeah, I got to be there in like three days. So I'm just driving, driving through. And he's like, oh yeah, fuck Byron Bay, heaps of drugs and stuff over there. And bear in mind, I haven't ever been to anywhere on the east coast, anywhere on the east, anywhere on the east coast or show that wasn't Byron Bay. So I thought everywhere was just like chill, <laughs> and um, I thought Australia was kind of, you know, kind of forward country. And I've just been in like California and Hawaii and stuff before, where you know, weeds all legal and just like this. The whole drugs thing is kind of, you know, unless it's you know, something bad like heroin, crack, coke, meth, like you're pretty sweet, you know. People are wised up to like that it's not all like a terrible thing. Drugs is a broad name which covers a lot of things, some of which aren't as bad as they're made out to be. Anyway, so he's like, yeah, a lot of drugs over there. And like he's like, oh, you know, we get a, this is kind of like a crossing over town, like get a lot of drugs and weapons and stuff. Um, traffic through here he's like have you got any drugs on you and I don't know why I said I was just like oh yeah I've got fucking I've got like a little tiny nug of weed that fucking little nug of weed I found at the beach <laughs> fucked me I was just honest but up until this point in my life I'd never had any reason to fucking fear cops or to lie to them because I didn't feel like I was doing anything wrong you know I was like, yeah, yeah, I got a little nugget like, weed. Like, I was like, you can, you can fucking have it if you want. Fucking give us a fine, and you know, I'll be on my way. And when I, when I told him that, he's like, all right, stop there. Now I've got reason to search your car, so I'm gonna strip strip everything in your van out. And um, so, so, just quickly to stop you there for a second, uh, for future reference for anyone listening. Oh yeah, hot tip. In order for police to to search you, they need reasonable suspicion that yeah. you're carrying some kind of uh, illicit substance. The only way they can get uh, reasonable suspicion without it being chucked out in the court is if you agree, you admit that, or admit sorry yeah. that you've got drugs on you. And the other way is if they've got a dog there and a dog yeah. sits down in front of you. But beyond that, uh, they can't really come up with a reason to search you. And therefore, yeah. you know, if they search you illegally, it'll get to court and get chucked out. Yeah, so, so don't admit don't nothing. say nothing. Don't tell them fucking nothing. I learned the fucking hard way, so you don't have to. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I told him I got a nugget weed. Like, you know, I was just being honest, and I yeah, he was like, oh, I'm gonna strip your whole fucking car right now. Like, um, you know, get out. I was like, what? You're gonna strip? Like, I just told you what I got. Like. You can just have it. I'll give it to you. Like, you don't have to. I've packed this van. Like it's got all my stuff in there. Mm. And he fucking. He's like, you got anything else? He's like, you got any cocaine? You got any ekkies? <laughs> you got any fucking uh, mushrooms? And I was like, oh. I was like, oh, I got some mushrooms, but I don't think they're like illegal, are they? Number two, bad thing I shouldn't have said. So first red flag, Byron Bay. I shouldn't have told him I was coming from Byron Bay. Second one, I shouldn't have said any weight. Third, shouldn't have said, yeah, I've got the mushrooms. 
at this point, fucking cat's out of the bag. So he's like, all right, I'm going stri- to strip me your old fucking thing anyway. He's like, you got anything else? He's going to find it. So you might as well tell us now and it'll look better for you and fucking whatever. And I was like, oh, I was thinking about it for ages. And I was like, yeah, I got some, I got some ketamine as well. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm fucking in now. Like, fuck it. Like, but <clears throat> so, yeah, he was like, where's the mushroom? Where's the mushroom? And I'm like, oh, it's in this fucking jar here. Like, look. He's like, I was just like, I'll get it. He's like, no, 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 come in, I'll, I'll find it. <laughs> like, he couldn't, couldn't fucking find it. It was just behind the front seat. <clears throat> and then for the life of him, he stripped everything out. Fucking surfboards, I had a yurt in there, all my clothes, all strewn, my life strewn across the uh, Coles car park. Plenty of onlookers going, looking past and going, what the fuck? People were, people were feeling for me. They were like, I ain't done nothing wrong with that. I mean, I'm standing with his his little sidekick buddy, his name was, and um, and he was just like, yeah, you could tell the the main cop, the main highway patrolman was like, this is he loved it. He was frothing. It's like he gets carried away. He gets he's he's fucking he's doing his God's work. Yeah, it feels like racking up that. stats is the name of the racking game. Up man. Stats, they get a exactly. charge, they get funding, they keep their jobs. The fucking yeah. parasites. Yeah. yeah. And then his, his 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 deputy next to me was like, "Oh yeah, fuck, sorry, he's a bit like this." <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just like, I'm just there being me, you know, chill surfer dude. Fucking, I was like, "Fucking hell, like, this is a bit over the top," like, you know. And then he's like, "Where's the ketamine? <laughs> Can't find it." And I was like, "Fuck, I shouldn't even told you." Uh, you go, brother. Was... Have a key for you. Need some. <laughs> yeah. You fucking stress head now. Relax. <laughs> yeah, mate. Uh, and then it was hidden in this little little jewelry box in the front. Told him it was. He got it out. And then, yeah, it was funny, actually. I remember thinking, I was like, I'm like, I'm pretty sure he's not going to know what DMT is, so I'm not even going to say anything. And I didn't. They found, you know, I had this box of, you know, a bit of weed and then a bit of, like, other herbs, which I mixed with it, and, like, tobacco and shit. And he's like, what's in this? I'm like, it's fucking herbs, man. Like, look on the fucking thing. He's like, oh, there might be weed in it. I've got to take it. <laughs> Whatever. So he took all my stuff. And then he grabs the weed. He grabs, uh, sorry, he grabs the jar of mushrooms and it's, you know, it's a glass jar, like, you know, you might have your peanut butter or something in. Half, about half full of powder. And he's looking at it, he's like, oh, that's that's a lot, that's heaps. And I'm like, no, it's not. Like, it's like a few a few trips worth, you know, like, I think it weighed out to be 35 grams. Which, yeah, it's enough, but it's not like... Five grams is a, a hero's dose, so yeah. they say. So seven hero's doses, that's basically, you've got seven macro doses of mushrooms yeah. in there, which is... You know, as a microdose is like if you were to map it out that way, it's like fucking, oh, like let's say forty nine fucking microdoses yeah. or something, fifty microdoses. It's not a huge amount when they point to when you can when you consider what they charged me with, Seven. which was commercial supply of prohibited drug. That's not right. <laughs> yeah. Which is equivalent to having like a kilo of hundred percent pure Colombian cocaine. Or a kilo of your fucking finest Afghan heroin. And I've got, you know, half a jar of mushies, which I picked from the garden. Or not from the garden, from the paddocks. And, you know, my mate gave me a few more. Uh, so it turns out the way the law is structured around psilocybin, the active chemical in um, magic mushrooms, they, the way on a scale of, of just that, you know, psilocybin, which makes up, I believe a maximum of 1% of the total weight of a dried mushroom. So if you've got you know, a mushroom that weighs one gram, 
hundredth of a gram is going to be how much psilocybin there is. So in those 34 grams of dried mushrooms, I would have had about 0.13 grams of psilocybin within that. Um, however, due to certain police protocols um, regarding like coke dealers and stuff, say if someone was selling, you know, selling coke and it's cut 50% without some other shit, they're only selling, you know, sell a gram of coke, they're only selling half a gram of coke. But they charge them as if they're selling a full gram. So that's where the law comes in that they can push up, I guess, make the crime worse than it is. And they completely twisted that in the case, in my case, where they said I had 35 grams of psilocybin, which to have 35 grams of psilocybin, you need 64 kilos of dried mushrooms. Mm. That's a massive distinction because yeah. what you had was 35 grams of mushrooms, yeah. not 35 grams of psilocybin. Exactly. You had 35 grams of psilocybin mushrooms. But in the way that they can, you know, they don't have to prove it's 100% pure because of their fucking weird little coke bylaw fucking thing. They said I got 34 grams or 35 grams of psilocybin, which is enough to have, you know, 0.1 of a gram is um, uh, considered a trip. So they said I have three and a half thousand doses within wow. that jar. So therefore... 0.1 of a gram mm. is considered a trip. Yeah. 0.2 of a gram is a microdose. Like 0.1 of a gram is not going to do fuck That's all. That's a psilocybin though. Yeah. Of straight psilocybin. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Right. Fuck, it's manipulative. Still, it is. It's completely yeah. twisting the figures and the, the very structure of that law to fucking... Yeah, to suit creating a very... A very, very bad, serious story out of something which is, you know, quite innocent, really. So, yeah, that's where it gets. That's where it gets serious. Uh, up until this point, I'm like, yeah, close the gates of hell, mate. Bit of draft in here. Up until this point, we, I was like, you know, this is, this is gonna be fine. You know, if I'd been pulled over anywhere else, you know, you just get a slap on the wrist of like, you know, drug possession. You've never been in trouble with the cops before, you know, you're not not really thinking anything bad's going to happen. At this point, I'm still like, you know, oh, I'm probably going to have to go down to the police station, do a statement, blah, 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 and then go to pay a fine in court one day. But, yeah, the cop is going, oh, this is commercial quantity. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. What's a fucking commercial quantity? <laughs> so he's basically saying, yeah, I'm, on, I'm, on the, I'm in the big leagues. I'm fucking Pablo Escobar of Gold Top Mushrooms. <laughs> and and I'm just like in full disbelief. I'm just I'm, I'm actually laughing. I'm like, this is a fucking joke. Like this is. I was like, this is cosmic fucking joke. This is this is funny. It's funny how like how ignorant you are to like what the reality of this situation is compared to what it is, and how much that can get mixed up and change the consequences. But yeah, so then he ended up, you know, calling out these detectives came down. And I marked police car, and they got a video camera, and they're like telling me to make, you know. And he's like, no, this time the cop has got me. And he's like, oh, are you, um, he's like, all right, best way this is going to work out for you, mate. 
is if you just you know admit it's yours for personal use and then that, that's it because he's like these 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 deputy uh, these detectives are gonna ask you these questions blah blah I'm like all right fuck whatever so the detectives ask me oh this is this psilocybin this mushroom family I'm like yeah it's mine my own personal use like you know just telling the fucking truth and then that's when the fucking for them it was case closed. They've got me admitting to having a certain amount of stuff and like New South Wales law as well, which is another thing which is pretty quick. It's uh, they have a thing it's called deemed supply. So you've got possession of a prohibited substance, you've got supply of prohibited substance, you've got commercial supply. Um, and they have a thing called deemed supply, which means if you're in possession of a certain amount of whatever, then you are technically guilty of supply, even though you've never supplied it to anyone. And even though there's no evidence of it, just the evidence of pure you having it. It's like, you know, if they found a kilo of coke at your house, they'd say, well, you're a drug dealer. You're not a drug user because who has fucking kilo hanging about? So they put it onto me, this deemed supply, even though, you know, a cop went through my phone. He was fine, happy there was no bloody... No message on the air saying I was going to sell it or, you know, nothing to kind of back up that story of me supplying drugs in any way. Yet, without any of that further evidence, they're allowed to put this charge on. And because I had given them that initial evidence of admitting that it was mine and I was in possession of it, that to them meant they had the green light to fucking throw the book at, throw the book at me. So... So at this point, you're in the holding cells at yeah. Broken Hill Cop Station? Or yeah, th- yeah. Broken what's Hill that Cop like? Station. Um, it's just like a kind of perspex kind of little square, like a kind of like a shower mm. <laughs> with a little bench on it. And you can see, you know, they've got their desk there and the cops coming in and they're weighing out the stuff. And How long did that. you spend in there? I reckon I spent probably a good four hours in there. Oh, okay. So, and yeah. I was like still kind of like, you know, a little bit tripping. <laughs> I was just like, this is just a bad dream, like... And I was just, I was like, I was relaxed. I was calm because I didn't think it was going to go any further than that. You know, getting taken to the holding cell, writing the fucking whatever statement and blah, blah, the rest of it. And then after that, they were like, oh, because it's a, because of the charge that we put on you, the police can't give you bail. Usually if it's, you know, a small crime, they can give you police bail. They'll let you go, tell you court date, you come back. And they're like, this is a serious indictable offence, which has a maximum uh, jail sentence of 20 years. Um, so then it becomes a serious indictable offence. It means that I have to have a judge tell me I can have bail, go really release into the community until my court date. So, yeah, the chick behind the desk oh. was like, oh, if I were you... I'd start thinking of some long-lost auntie you've got in Broken Hill who you can stay at her house until you come back to, you know, court date. Otherwise, you're not going to get bail from the judge. This is a cop telling me to lie to a judge mm. to get bail for a crime I hadn't done. <laughs> like, and at this point, my mind was so fucking twisted of just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, like where's... like. Where's the sense? Where's the integrity? She's immediately telling you to break the law. Like the first person you talk to <laughs> yeah. after getting arrested and you're looking at 20 years <clears throat> is some chick at the front desk who tells you to lie to the cops. It's like, how do you know who to trust? That's how 
backwards the system yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, like it's, 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 it's barely hanging on to logic yeah. by a fucking fingernail. Yeah, and I was talk- I remember I was talking to the, the the detective. There was a woman detective in there, and I was saying to her, I was like, sitting in there, I was like, fuck, I got to kind of you know, I got to use everything I've got to try and get myself out of the situation. This is kind of fucked. Uh, I, I told her about you know I like my mum and stuff like that and like what the Martians are for and like that. And she, I was like, can you please like. Because at this point, it was <clears throat> still undecided whether they're going to charge me with possession or supply. It wasn't up to the cops who got me. It was up to the cop upstairs, head of the station, the fucking big balls boss. Yeah, the pencil pushing, the pencil stat pusher. racking parasite. The dude who hasn't even had a look at me he has no idea. Just all he does is run hot laps to Will Kenya and back, <laughs> locking up black fellas, man. <laughs> fucking dog. And yeah, it, and it was up to him. You know, power was out of the people's hands who had the, all the power. And even though, and like by the end of the time I got, you know, searched and stuff, the cops who had got me were like, yeah, I don't think you're a drug dealer. And like by the time he was leaving the station to go back out on the beat, he was like, oh, yeah, you're actually a fucking real nice dude. Like you just got head on your shoulders and you're onto it. Like, oh, I hope this works out for you. And How I'm like, are they? Dude, like, you fucked me, <laughs> you have fucking made this happen. Like, and he was like, oh, it's out of my I've got to go back on, <laughs> I've got to go back on the beat and, Fucking check some more guns down. But I was just like, I'm sitting there, you know, I'm like, great, thanks, mate. Like, so what I told you from the start, you believe, but now the evidence that you've gathered to give to your higher up, now he's not even going to come and have a yarn to me before he says, yeah, we're going to fucking slap this commercial supply charge on him. It's wild. It's, it's morally indefensible what they do, and they know it themselves, yeah. and yet they fucking do it. And I think it's such a perfect metaphor for capitalism. Like, <laughs> so many of the ways in which we make our livings and make our money is morally indefensible, and we all fucking know it. Yeah. Like, whether it's slave labor, ripping fucking minerals out of the ground, uh, you know, gambling, alcohol, processed food, advertising and sponsorship. Someone, like someone loses. Every revenue stream that we've created in this paradigm is basically morally indefensible, including the policing. <laughs> and these cunts know it and we all know fucked. it. And this is the karma of yeah. going along with a fucked up system that doesn't work. Yeah. Is that we get fucked on by it. We get fucked by it. And we should always know that we're going to get fucked by it. That's how... <laughs> Karma works, man, and it's karma's not this mystical concept. You can't karma, outsmart it. <laughs> it just means deed. Yeah. In Sanskrit, it just means deed. It's like if you do this thing, if you do this deed, then there's a fucking consequence for that deed. Yeah. And and that's what karma is. If you go along with something that's horseshit, the horseshit's gonna fucking end up on you pretty soon. Yeah. Yeah. So you end up. So, so then you like, end up in prison, basically. Yeah. So then they're like, "Well, we can't give you bail, so you're gonna have to go spend a night in in the local jail." And go before a judge tomorrow. And what's that like? Getting to the prison, like, tell us your, your first impressions of going in there. Like, who who is the, the first person you see, or some <laughs> of the first people you see? What's going down in jail? First person, I think. Uh, well, the fucking car ride there was like three fucking minutes just down the road. And then I sat in the back of the fucking paddy wagon with the the fucking aircon on full blast, freezing my tits off. And I was sitting there for like an probably half an hour, 45 minutes, just like I can hear them yarning outside and I'm just freezing. And they finally get me in and I see this old old female prison guard. He's about a bit shorter than me. She, she's, she's a female prison guard. She's pretty rough, pretty tough. Mm. <laughs> old bird. Mm. She's like, all right, come on in, you gamble fucking in. Like, and then there's this real young guy from, from Yamber, actually. Um, young guy, probably like 
24, 25 or something, like little like straight cut. Um, and yeah, so she's book, from book, Yamba. Book, book What's from he here. doing in there? He's fucking Locked making, up making on, some coin. He's working as a screw. Yeah, yeah Fuck, screw. You shit me in Broken Hill. Yeah. Fuck, he's from Yamba. <laughs> yeah. What's he thinking? <laughs> I don't know. Are you shitting me? They fucking get Cut paid. Needs a fucking. They get paid good fucking coin. Oh man, that guy needs a macro dose more than anyone. That's wild. <laughs> Holy shit. Anyway. Well, yeah, she's looking in. She's like, oh. So like, what you, I don't know if she asked what I've done or what they aren't. She's like, oh, drug possession. Like, and I said mushrooms. She's like, mushrooms? <laughs> Should have had it in a fucking gravy tin, mate. <laughs> I'm like, what now? I'm just being mocked. I'm being mocked by these cunts <laughs> who, like, obviously know, like, the fuckness of the situation. And they're just like, you know, I'm just like, yeah, fuck, whatever. Should have had him in a gravy tin. <laughs> yeah. The prison screw tells you. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so like, that's, wow. what we, that's what we used to do. Like, yeah, I remember doing mushrooms back then when I was young. And, like, see, this is fucking, like, it's kind of a rite of passage for, like, so many people. Bro, just, like, it's it's straight up Monty Python shit is what it is. <laughs> yeah. It's like a fucking skit it's, from it's Monty Python. It's a fucking cosmic joke, man. So, yeah, and, like, and then, like, you know, taking my clothes off and fucking signing all my valuables, my phone. And, like, like, I'm only allowed to take a few phone numbers out of it. And, like, you know, at this point I was like, I'm getting out tomorrow. No stress. I'm like, I don't even need to, you don't even need to give me, they didn't give me the prison greens at that point. And then, yeah, like search, yeah, like, you know, kind of pretty much, yeah, strip search. And then, yeah, I remember the dude was like, yeah, if I can like, lift up your balls and then bend over, like, not a cavity search, thank God. No, but just a quick peek at the corns. Just a quick peek at the corns. See if it's rinsed or not. <laughs> yeah. If it's unrinsed, they give you a quick spray down of the gurney. Yeah. <laughs> I heard the, the yarn is, you know, you got to crouch down and cough, but I can't remember if I had to do that or not. But anyway, yeah, and they're like, oh, yeah, we'll book in. You know, oh, you're going in front of a judge tomorrow. They're, you know, even they're like, everyone's thinking I'm going to get out. Because, you know, like, yeah, like, we don't get many people like you in here. Like, yeah, fucking know. Tell me about it. And then they put me in this, this fucking cell, which is the isolation cell, like solitary. Mm. The lights don't turn off. Because <laughs> they have to have me in there on fucking, on watch. Because there's scared that you might fucking self-harm or something. So they put you in a fucking room to sleep where the bright white lights don't turn off. <laughs> we're scared, we're, we're scared <laughs> for your, your welfare. We're going to put you in a fluorescent, lighted, uh, like white tin that you can't sleep in for 24 hours. Yeah. We, we don't want you to like feel bad or, or terrible about yeah, yourself. Yeah. So yeah, I remember like being there with like, I don't even know, I think I had a blanket. Um and yeah, I had like, it was like these little, like imagine like, you know, you classic camping mattress, but like shitter, like thinner, <laughs> more holes in it, more like weird stains on them. I had one of them to lay on and then I had another one I put over the top of me. And I was like, yeah, cool. Like, fuck, well, at least, you know, I woke up the next morning, something's coming up and I was like, just started doing some yoga in there. I was like, I'm fucking, no, no worries. I was just like, this is just the funny part of the story isn't it if I get out today I'll still make it to Cactus or maybe I have to skip Cactus I'll still make it to the job on time without having to you know without causing any having to tell my new employer what, <laughs> what's going on at this point and then um, yeah so I'm doing some yoga and they give fucking I don't even know, I think they give us a fucking apple or something for breakfast some water and then yeah so they, you don't actually go to court which is I find is a quite strange thing you have to appear in court via telelink, even though the court is, you know, three minutes down the road from the jail. 
you have to go into this little container and um yeah there's you know you sit in front of a computer screen and you got a camera on you and um yeah i remember i had i had a phone call from the judy solicitor um at the time whose name was eric and he was like all right yeah i'm looking at you bloody looking at the rap sheet whatever and he's like yeah it's like i told him you know the whole story like what's going on like the fucking reason behind all this shit, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's all great. That's all great. But right now, it's the quantity. The quantity is what's fucked you. He's like, because it's, you know, it's above, I think 25 grams is the highest amount of commercial, uh, highest amount for supply. And then above 25 grams is commercial supply. Right, so, so 25 grams is supply. Yeah, from uh, 0. 0.15 yeah. is where supply starts. Right, so if anything above that, you can be deemed to have uh, be moving it on and selling yeah, it. If you have one mushroom in your hand, you deem, can deem, be deemed to be a supplier for the cops. Fuck, fuck these cunts are yeah. fucking red hot, aren't they? Yeah. So fucking. Yeah, stop. I was in the next, the next fucking the next bracket, the next realm of hell, and he's like, "Yeah, that's a truck. That's a tricky bit, man, because like you know, you've admitted having it, blah blah blah." And I'm like, "I'm like, well, fuck, you know, like, surely he's just like, yeah, just let me handle it. Be right, we'll get your bail." And um, yeah, so we go in, go in, go on live, and then it's not even fucking judge; it's the the bloody um, oh, what do you call it? It's the judge's secretary because it's a Saturday. Judge doesn't work Saturday. <laughs> it's the judge's secretary who's fucking sitting there on the other end of the camera. She doesn't even have the power to fucking make this decision anyway. Because she uh, yeah, it goes a bit like this. He goes. Oh, science, I'm wrapped in all of her um, drug supply. And she's like, oh, well, there's an admission of possession. Bail denied. Bang. I'm like, oh, well, fucking great. Like, and then he's like, it's all right, it's all right. Like, he's back on the phone to me after. He's like, it's okay. Like, it, that's just a, that's just not even, that's the duty solicitor. No, no, the duty fucking judge or whatever. It's not a real judge. We have a real judge on Monday. And then we'll get yeah. I'm like, fuck, all right. So at this point, I'm not, I'm not in the proper prison yet. I'm just in this little mm. holding cell. But at this point, it's like, right, you're going to have to spend two days in proper prison mm. with the general population. And just like, and that's when it, shit gets real. So I was like, all right, fuck. And then, they, you know, I went back and they gave me all my greens and shit. And, the, you know, your prison uniform, all green, green sock, green pants. Like, and it's all clothes. None of it's new. It's all clothes that have been, you know, worn before. Um, holes in it, fucking whatever. Actually, I think the socks I gave you are new. Nice wool socks. Nice.
track you just heard was Valley of Frost. Back to the show. So, you, you talk to us about meeting the, the general prison population for the first time. Because from what I understand, walking into prison for the first time yeah. is a moment that you'll never forget. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I remember, I had, you know, you load you up, you got your fucking towels and your, your, your clothes and your, your little toothbrush and whatnot. And you get walked through this one gate and then it's like, and then you go to this other gate at the side of the wing. Um, and I was just like... Yeah, I was like pretty nervous. I was like, "Fuck!" Like, what the fuck is it gonna? Because at this point, I didn't know anyone had ever been in jail. The only thing you'd ever you ever know from like the only perception of what you think jail is is from the fucking movies. <laughs> and it fucking never gets painted pretty good in the movies. <laughs> so you think, "Oh fuck, am I gonna get fucking raped? Am I gonna get beaten up? Am I gonna get fucking stood over?" And you're like, "Fuck!" And I was just like. Right, I'm going into the fucking lion's den. Here we go. Like, and then they put me in the cell with this guy Tim. This probably like forty-year-old indigenous dude, um, massive dude, big fella. And he's just watching the footy on TV and fucking didn't really talk much to me. And I was just in his in his top bunk, two of us in the cell. And um, yeah, I just kind of went in there and I was just like, four, like don't really know what to do. I just kind of. I just laid in bed or something and I like had a, like a bit of small talk with old mate Tim, but not too much. And then, yeah, you get to, it was just early afternoon, I think, just after lunch, and you get on a Sunday or a Saturday, whatever it was, you get fucking sausage roll for lunch, mate. That's your treat. <laughs> sausage roll, fucking great. Um, yeah, and I was just like, right. And then I think at three o'clock, Everyone get kicked out of the cells to go into the yard from 3 till 3.30. And then 3.30 is your kind of bedtime. That's when everyone goes back into the cells and gets locked up for the night. So 3.30 comes around and it's like, all right, everyone out. I'm like, wait, what? Like, what's going on? Like, you know, just really kind of learning your kind of prison schedule. Um, and then I'm out in the yard and I'm like, fuck, like, you know, don't I really know, don't, can't really go talk to anyone or like, you don't really know what to do. And then I ended up kind of just walking over to where these guys are playing chess or something or cards or something like that. And then, yeah, I remember this guy, Ty, Tyrell, probably the first dude to talk to me. He was like, oh, first time inside, mate? And I'm like, oh, yeah, bro. <laughs> like, can you tell? <laughs> and, yeah, and he's like, oh. And then someone else came up and I'm like, oh, yeah, first time? Oh, yeah, fuck. I'll give you, I'll sort you out some noodles or something. I'm like, it's just fucking a little test, you know, when people like offer you something or like do your favour and then you owe them. And then you know, like a few people were like, yeah, I'll, I'll give you some noodles, bro. I'm like, you know, a little bit, I was like sus. I'm like, oh, fuck, I don't know. Like, I don't know what I'm getting myself in for. Am I going to like, you know, become these guys a little bitch or something, you know, like, Seriously. no idea, man. These guys got, like, face tats and shit and, like, you know, there's a pretty, it's a pretty mad, toxic environment of just, like, the only way I could try it was, like, caged animals, man. Like, yeah, bro. People just walking around, out pacing, you know. He's Trauma, heavily yeah. traumatised animals. Imagine, like, a bunch of, you know, this is not a, a nice comparison, but, say, a, a, bunch, a bunch of, traumatized dogs that have grown up being beaten and kicked and yeah. fucking 
underfathered and underparented and fed who knows what from a young age and then put them all in a cage together. Yeah. <laughs> put them in a cage and then fucking give them the shittest food. Fucking no hope, know, no, no rehabilitation. Right. You locked you don't come out until after sunrise, you go in before sunset. You don't get to see the night sky. You don't get any interaction with nature, trees, nothing. You're just fucking looking at plain brick walls and fucking it's a it's a it's a built it's a it's a you know it's a constructed reality of like dullness and yeah non-stimulation and broken hill is the punishment prison ironically from what i understand it's like the end of the line it's like where you it's where they send people who are super problematic in the prisons you know in the city or you know in the central western new south yeah, wales yeah. like uh, bathurst or whatever uh, you know, Broken Hill's so far away, so I guess it puts don't people... get visitors and exactly, shit. Exactly, like, get no visitors, man. Yeah, yeah. So you're 11 hours west of Sydney, yeah. no one's coming to see you in Broken Hill, man. Nah. Yeah, no one's coming to see me. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, fuck, that first day was, yeah. That's heavy too, man, because, you know, you're on the road, you've just lost your mum. Yeah. Um, you know, you're a, you're a foreigner, so... The, the sense of loneliness and, and isolation oh, must dude, have just been crushing. It was, it was wild, man. And just, I guess, to be kind of surrounded by... We'd put into, you know, a kind of group of people who you have nothing in common with because, like, a lot of people in there, like, you don't get into jail, like, on getting arrested for the first time of, like, being not a criminal. These people have been there because they fucked up multiple times and, like, that's their kind of lifestyle and they're... You know, that's the way they kind of live in and out of the system for their whole lives. Mm. Like some people, I mean, they've been in, like, in and out like 12 times. Institutionalised. Like yeah, yeah, fully. Oh. And like, and just being there and just not really having anyone on my level to just interact with to kind of keep you mentally stimulated. Like, you know, have a conversation with someone like you or like just, even just a fucking, even your dumbest surfer down at the fucking, at the beach, you know. you got something, something in common, like you can... You're on some kind of same wavelength, but this was just like something completely different. Like that's it, man. My my brother's done a couple stints inside, and uh, he was telling me this is not a nice thing that he was telling me, but he was saying that like you can't, like you said, you can't converse or connect with anybody in there. Like he was the yeah. only guy in his pod when I went to visit him in June who, who hadn't you know shot up or smoked meth. Yeah. So like, there's very few people, and he said, like, fuck, man. I don't know if I should even say this, but. The pedophiles, he, you could at least talk to them, <laughs> like because they, yeah. they were these kind of twisted fucks, ultra calculated, ultra intelligent, like twisted people. But not but, but they weren't criminals. That they, like, they were at least able to talk and, and have yeah. a dialogue. Like they weren't on the bupe. They weren't fucking on the ice. Yeah. Um. They had education sometimes. So like you know, you don't want to be seen talking to pedophiles. But then some <laughs> of the pedophiles were. Um, also the tattooists in prison so that kind of got them outside of the pedophile bracket which makes you a, a serious uh, you know risk of getting beaten to death yeah, or yeah. Uh, whatever but um, yeah man so I don't know it's just a fucking weird tidbit prison is a place of an imperfect reality and you do what you can to survive yeah. it and sometimes that means having a conversation with whoever the fuck can, can hold it a yeah, conversation yeah, yeah. and that's yeah, I learnt so much in there just about people and about myself and just how, how to fucking you know just deal with what the fuck you got in front of you because like you know like I'd, I feel like I had more in common with the guards 
than the prisoners. And like, that's not where you want to fucking be at when you're <laughs> in prison with all the yeah, boys. Dude. The guard <laughs> knew how to smuggle mushrooms, mate. <laughs> yeah, man. It's just like, yeah, it was fucking wild, man. Like, I remember the end. And then like, the second day, the Sunday, and it was pretty chill. Like, I think I remember waking up and then and I was taking a shit. And then first bell went, second bell went, and like no one told me I had to go outside. And I was taking it, I was on the toilet, and then this guy comes in, he's like, Oi, what the fuck are you doing? I'm like, I'm taking shit. <laughs> he's like, you've got to get the fuck outside now. I'm like, what, why? Like, it's like, it's muster time. That's when you've got to go outside and line up and have your name count, like a register at school, you know, make sure everyone's, no one's escaped during the night. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, you know, like, no, no one told me. Like, fucking first day in, like. You know, and already, yeah, I'm getting in, in fucking trouble. Like, oh, fuck. You know, and then it, you that, it, it just makes you feel just like mm. you're being talked down to. You're fucking not worth what someone else is worth. And it's just like, I guess that was the first bit of just like, yeah, being in that like, little fucking game between, you know, guards and guards and, and cons, you know, like there's the, the dynamic of, the power over you and just like and that's why I'm like fuck you know you don't fucking know me cunt like <laughs> I'm fucking probably smarter than you <laughs> I'm fucking you know I'm just here I'm here on a I'm here on a fucking on a what do you call it misunderstanding <laughs> it's all just a legislative misunderstanding it's all gonna be fine I'll be out of here in no time and then yeah and then having the court the, the next court appearance the next bail hearing um, on the Monday and then I, uh, yeah, same yarn with fucking Eric. Blah, blah, and he tries his best. And like, but I don't get chances to talk. And he's just, like, he's, you know, talking to the cops and then he's got the police prosecutor there saying, you know, he's admitted to having this team supply. And then Eric's fucking argument was, you know, he's picked them in his fuck, in the fucking paddocks. Like, they could be any kind of mushrooms, you know. He's, he's bloody, you know. He didn't know what he was doing. Like, listen, I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck? What's this fucking yarn you're trying to spin, man? Like, you know, that's that's his way of trying to, you know, trying to discredit, I guess, the strength of the evidence. Yeah, Because it's going to take eight weeks to test them. Right. But I'd already said, oh, yeah, they're fucking psilocybin mushrooms, man. Because I'm fucking super smart, cunt. <laughs> I'm trying to spread the word. <laughs> 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 and then the cops is like, nah, like. And he's like, yeah, it's personal use. And like. This, this is a significant quantity, but it's because they didn't have the understanding, like, of, you know, the weights and measures of contents of it. So, so it was just all out of. And what ends up course. happening? The it ends up happening. Um, the judge is like, um, it's far too big a quantity to be for personal use. There's admission. So, in their eyes, from the evidence that they've got already, they reckon they're going to win the case. To fucking, you know, put me down, put me away. So they're like, yeah, fucking, they're like, you know, this isn't probably going to lose in court. So there's nothing to be gained from letting him out. We're risking him being able to escape the country or not come back. So to them, it's it's a too high a risk to let me go. Even though, you know, I offer to give up my passport, offer to go. Fucking had mates in, you know, Bowner, Lennox, said I could stay at their house, told the cops that, said I could put up $10,000 for bail, told me that fucking I would go to the cop station, you know, every day if I needed to, to check in, report, 
so that they, you know, have tabs on me to make sure I'm not fleeing the country. And they're still just like, nah. Then at this point, the judge is like, all right, bam. Next date is in on the 16th of July. And this was the 14th of May. So this, I was like, fuck, I'm at least going to be here for like two months. Two months, like, non-negotiable. And I just fucking, that's when the whole, you know, up to this point I was like, it's going to be fine. And this point I was like, it's going to be shit. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be fucking shit. I'm going to have to be in here. Because this point, like, you know, you have to be in jail for a day, two days max, to kind of feel the vibe of the place and be like, I don't want to fucking be here. And, like, yeah, I was like, well, you're fucking going to be here for two months, like. And, you know, at this point I was also like, I could get out, I could still make the drive to WA, it's not all lost. I can go there, make some money, fly back to fucking court. Because I was like, I, wanted to, I want this fucking dealt with. I'll definitely come back to court. I don't want this fucking charge hanging over me, you know, like, because I'm pretty sure that, you know, that the truth will prevail and that, you know, it's not going to be the fucking shitstorm that you're saying it is. Like, I want my name clear because I want to be able to travel and stuff, you know. But, it, you know, it was, yeah, out of my hands. And I was like, right, fuck, this is going to be, you know, a bit longer than you thought. So kind of strap in, buddy. And, yeah, and I I didn't have a chance to say anything to the judge at that point. And, like, and I remember, like, my lawyer was like, I was trying to talk. And he was like, shut up, shut up, stop saying. <laughs> you know, via the camera thing. And at the end, like, I managed to get, you know, talk speak to the judge and say a couple few things about just like I was like you know like this is my whole life on the line right now like I've literally got the chance to be building my life right now of like getting this job and going to do what I want to because I wanted to get this job to get some money buy some property in New Zealand to then start like a mental health kind of wellness kind of retreat place where people would come they're going through tough times and like reconnect with nature and do yoga and like meditate and all that, that was my that was my life's fucking goal at that point was to, you know, be on this buzz to do that. And then it, that was all just like pff, one foul swoop of the long old dick of the law just fucking wiped my face. Was like, nah, that, that dream of yours is fucking... Now you're going to be fighting for your life to even be able to go to New Zealand ever again. Like, and I was just like, fuck, I am... I'm in for a big fucking journey here. And I fucking had mass biggest breakdown ever. Yeah, I mean, talk us through the breakdown. Like, you know, what uh, what does that look like in jail, I guess? The low point. What was the lowest point? I think that was one of the lowest points. Um, that was like, that was their first, like, you know, future dashing kind of moment of like, yeah all these fucking real sick ideas and sick plans and best intentions that you had for what you're going to be doing with your life are now, like, not going to happen because of some fucking bullshit that you've just, you know, accidentally kind of got yourself into, you know, with best intention. It's like, I think that was what, one thing that fucking wigged me out the most was just, like, how, how was my intention of... You know, what I want to do this next part of my life journey for. How has that got me to this point of, like, this immense kind of, like, 
punishment and suffering to kind of, you know, like it didn't just didn't make sense at the time. Mm. It'll make sense now. It makes sense now. <laughs> Heads up, Swellians. Here comes another absolute rompa from the Couch Wizards. This one is Fear Awakens.
Let's get to that. I mean, because some really pivotal things happen to you while you're in prison and they've changed your life for the better. Yeah. Uh, and I think, uh, in my opinion, they've found their mark in your music. I think um, that's what sets your band apart from many others yeah. is that there's a bit of grit in you that has been hard won, as grit always is, yeah. uh, through prison in this circumstance. And I think a lot of the, the great artists, performers, athletes have this grit in them and it's sewn into them at some age uh, and, and they don't, often don't know exactly why <laughs> this yeah. fucked up thing's happening to them. It doesn't seem to make much sense, but um, you know, it, it gives them the resolve to, to, to push a bit harder, to strive, to survive, to thrive eventually. Yeah, it gives uh, you a bit more reason to do it than just, oh, just a bit of fun or just a bit of like... It's nice to do this. It's like there's something far deeper. It becomes bigger than yourself. It's like it becomes like your fucking life's work, like a mission of some like greater importance than you know. Because you, it's a way to for me to express those like deepest fucking negative emotions and to really express them in like that healthy way of like creation which turns it into like a real beautiful kind of thing to watch or listen to. And at the same time, it's humbling to kind of, um, you know, put yourself in that vulnerable place to share that in the hope that someone else who maybe is going through or been through that can relate and see you as not this fucking person who's higher up on the stage fucking better it's like brings you back down to that person like oh you're the same because you go through the same shit on a different you know in a different context but like 
that's what something I found through, you know, my own journeys of listening to music, getting me through hard times of like, like, oh, you know, I've, I'm going through this shit. Oh, but this guy I fucking really look up to, like, oh, he's gone through the same shit too. Like, we know different. Mm. This person who I can idolise and think is amazing, the same as me, so then I can think I'm amazing as well. And like, and be on the same level and not feel just, you know, just sub suboptimal and like definitely through like whilst I was in there I had yeah Murray Cook who's uh he was in the in Midnight Oil and Warumpi Band and yeah this is a fucking a crazy story man yeah. so this is where it gets deeply cosmic uh yeah Murray Cook from Midnight Oil and the yeah. Warumpi Band shows up in jail with yeah. this project to record music with inmates. Yeah. So and it just so happens that you're in prison at this time and you've just written your first two songs. Yeah. So when I first got in there, I remember the librarian telling me about, oh, this guy Murray Cook comes in and you come around on the 16th of July or something and, you know, he's in these bands and he you know, comes and records music and they're like, you're a musician. You're like, yeah, I think you like that. And I was like, yeah, well, that's when my court date is. So I think I'll be fucking gone by then because I think this is going to be all over. <laughs> and then he comes in um, on yeah, the fifteenth, I think. Um, yeah, like you know, we'd chat to him, little yarn, and like you know, had a little play around. But then, um, I think then, yeah, it was just like kind of just meeting for the first time, just having a little bit of a jam out with the boys. And then the second day, um, yeah, the sixteenth was the day of my court thing. And then like I, the night before. I'd spoken to my Jewish listener on the phone, Eric, fucking great guy. <laughs> Not. <laughs> yeah, you got to wonder about these cunts, eh? They're out oh. of Broken Hill. Like, how close are they to the police as well? You know, are oh. they really doing... That's, their... whole, that's a chapter in the book you have, you have to read. You know. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he's like, he's like, Ollie, fucking, I've spoken to the cops. They're going to drop the supply charge. And then as long as you, you know, do a deal, you definitely plead guilty to three counts of possession and the supply charge, supply charge gets dropped. And he's like, you're fucking walking out of there tomorrow, mate. Fucking sorted. And I was just like, are you fucking kidding? I'm like, yes, this is the fucking best fucking news, you know, ever. This is exactly what I wanted. And, yeah, I was just frothing. I remember calling my old man and he was like, because he's in England. Like, has been the whole time. And he's, like, fucking stressing out. And he's, like, oh, fucking... He's, I think he was in Switzerland on holiday, actually, at the moment, trying to de-stress. <laughs> and he, he was, like, yeah, fucking earth. Like, that's... You know, that's a great result. Like, so I was, like, sweet, yeah, I'll call you from my fucking mobile tomorrow when I get out. And I remember that night going in, you know, going back into the cells, Sam and fucking, you know... My cheers is to everyone fucking for looking after me there and just like, yeah, fucking boys, I'm fucking out of here tomorrow, like, for often. And then, yeah, I remember, actually remember, yeah, that night, my cellmate fucking was, would not leave me alone. He wanted me to smoke bupe with him. Mm. And he would fucking... Bupe is, uh, it's like a, a synthetic opioid. Yeah. Similar to methadone. Yeah. And he, he had some, he's like, oh, come on, it's your last night, man, you go fucking do it. I'm like, the whole time I was like, fucking, I never wanted to get involved in any of that shit. And I was just like, I don't need to. And he was just super, super fucking annoying and just like, 
and he's aggressive as well. And like, not at that point, but he was, you know, he's telling me about all the fucking fights and stuff he had, and like, he's, yeah. You had some problems with this guy, hey? Like, is this the guy who uh, he ended up, he ended up like dog shotting you? Nah, this is a different guy. Oh, okay. We'll get on to that. We'll get on that. <laughs> but yeah, no. Because no one goes to jail who <laughs> hasn't been to jail without copping a fucking random hiding from some yeah. <laughs> poor, traumatized. But no, this guy was like incessant. And I was like, fuck. And I ended up just giving him, I was like, all right, fuck it. Yeah, all right, I'll smoke with you. Just make you shut up. Because he was just so annoying. Like, and he was like, I'll keep you up all night if you don't fucking do it. <laughs> I was like, fuck it, whatever. My tenant was like, yeah, it's just like being kind of stoned. Get hungry munchies and just like, oh, great, wonderful. Anyway, next day comes around. <laughs> next day comes around, and then I, uh, yeah, I'm in the in the music room. Marion's having a little jam around, and then I hear fucking ferret to the AVL. <laughs> the AVL is the audio visual link. Um, it's like you know, it's like call up to go to go to court in uh, inverted commas. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, I'm full of fucking hope, full of glee. I was like, fuck yeah, like, this is it. Like, I think, fuck, I've been waiting for this for so long. Get in there. And then, yeah, fucking, Eric's not even in there. It's, he sent his buddy, his deputy solicitor to go in. And he, yeah, says the yarn. He's like, oh, well, we put the request to police prosecution to remove one charge of supply prohibited quantity of drugs and add one charge of, you know, possess uh prohibited drug. And then straight up the cops just go, Nah, that's way too much for personal use. Charge stays, request denied. And then the, <laughs> the judge goes, Alright, cool. Next uh, court date in yeah, six weeks. Boom. Hammer comes down and I'm just like that was even worse than the first fucking breakdown. Because well, yeah. <laughs> I was like, on this, you know, he told me he'd done the deal. And of course, he's not there when the bad news gets delivered. He sends his deputy in because yeah. he fucking knows probably. Yeah. He, doesn't really, like, he doesn't care. What the? F- I'm like, how the fuck could you just say that you'd sorted this thing and then all of a sudden it's just turned out to be bullshit? Like, I'm like, what fucking game are you playing with me? You know, I'm like, I'm just going through my own, you know, and that's another, you know, Another six weeks I had to be in there. I'm like, I'd only, I'd just done two months and I was having to do almost the same again. And I was like, that felt like a fucking long time, you mm-hmm. know? And it was just like, yeah, crushing, man. Soul crushing to have, you know, the taste of freedom in your, in your fucking mouth. You could just taste that fucking avocado from Coles. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't paid for. Yeah. You know, you taste the peanut butter, all the nice things that you don't get. Uh, yeah. And then, yeah, fucking bam, back to the door, back to square one. Mm. And I was just fucking, yeah, rattled. And then went back into, back into the music bit and the boys were like, oh, how'd you go, bro? I just didn't, didn't say a word. <laughs> like, oh, fuck, not good. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then Mario was there, and I was like, "Yeah, fuck." I was like, "Yeah, we came to uh, record a song, Murray. If uh, <laughs> you got time." And he's like, "Yeah, sweet." So then we went out to the prison library. It was like one of the end, end of the day, and uh, yeah, we uh, recorded my song "Broken Hill Blues," which I'd written in there. Yeah, one good thing about that Broken Hill Jail actually, there was two acoustic guitars that you could play every day. Um, from the hours of nine until three. 
So that was pretty much what I did every mm. day mm. amongst doing yoga. I had my own little yoga practice I'd do. Like sometimes it's hard to motivate to do that. Like I'd say almost every day. Where would you do it? In the middle of the yard. Wow. So fucking mate. On the tower right what in front of everyone. Yeah, that's, yeah. That is gangster, mate. I have <laughs> yeah. big respect for doing that. That's so yeah, sick. And, in the sun. Yeah. And, and what was the reaction of the inmates? <laughs> they all fucking took a bit of a wide berth. <laughs> <laughs> they looked at me pretty weird. They were like, fuck, this cunt is fucking weird. Cunt. Just <laughs> popping his <laughs> downward dogs in the middle of uh, the punishment prison. These short shorts on and these, um, these sunnies, these like almost like those Ray-Ban uh, like your classic Roy Orbison Ray Ban Sunnies yeah. that someone had given me. And like no shirt and I had this little radio, this little Walkman radio that I'd rent I'd rent this off my cellmate for two cans of solo a week. <laughs> 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 so I get to tune into, you know, Triple J commercial uh community radio. I love listening to community radio. Yep. Bit of Christian radio and all these other pop shit. Like yeah, it was like that was that was one of my you know, godsends in there was the guitar, the radio, and yeah, and doing doing yoga and like Wim Hof and stuff. Yeah, so you also come across a book uh, that's been written by an investigative journalist. I think he worked for Playboy. I've heard this guy talk on, on Joe Rogan, I think it was. Uh, he was essentially sent to destroy Wim Hof. Yeah. Uh, he was sent to, you know, expose him as this charlatan with this phony breathing technique, and he ends up uh, completely getting converted to Wim Hof's breathing technique and walking up Mount Kilimanjaro with yeah. Wim Hof because he's so fucking inspired and feeling the mana from the breathing technique. And you you happen to read this book in prison. Yeah, so that was one of my first... Um, in my, within my first week, uh, the librarian was like, oh, what are you into? Kind of, you know, I'm like, oh, like surfing and fucking being healthy and shit like that. And then... She came out and gave me a few, uh, these three books. Uh, Kelly Slater, um, For the Love. Mm. It's like a big kind of like picture book with a bunch of, uh, you know, stuff that he's written in there. That was a really, really cool book to read that one. Uh, You've got to wonder how a Kelly Slater <laughs> photographic kind of uh, book makes it to Broken Hill Prison, don't you? Yeah. I mean, some mm. other poor prick probably got done 20 years ago with 35 grams of mushrooms on his way to cactus. I hope so. Like maybe, yeah, I left some stuff in there for, I thought about taking stuff with me. I was like, nah, fucking, no, I'll leave these in here and like wrote some messages in these books for the next four cunt that fucking has to read them. Mm. But um, yeah, and then I can't remember this book, is it, what it's called, I think it's called like Under the Ice or something of the ice. But mm. yeah, the, the book by... This guy you were talking about. And yeah. About with, Wim Hof. About yeah. Wim Hof. And I was, yeah, reading it and it, you know, doesn't tell you, he hasn't, you know, revealed all of the techniques and all the things, but, you know, the you know, most basic ones of the ones that we do, just, you know, your 30 rounds of deep breaths and then holding on the exhale and then, you know, doing round for round of that. I was getting into that. Like, I remember the first time doing it, I was in my cell and this was when I moved cell. I was with an old dude called Barry who had got busted with uh, fuck, 50 kilos of pot and mm. $20,000. This is an interesting story. Is this the guy who he got busted with 50 kilos of pot, but by the time he got to court, there was only 10 kilos? There was only 40 kilos. There was only 40 kilos. And there was no, so, no cash. And no cash. So, so the cops mysteriously. Said, yeah, the cops have allegedly, I guess, uh, swiped 10 kilos of pot and all the cash. Yeah, which is pretty big crime. 
wouldn't you say? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it makes perfect sense. So out that way, you know, they swipe the ten k the ten k's of um pot, and then they fucking just they would fling it straight to the nearest or bikey chapter. Yeah. I'll probably have to bleep the the name of that chapter out, but <laughs> yeah, you know, like they sling it straight to the nearest fucking drug slinger. Yeah, because like Pop out cash. there, there's not really anyone. To, there's no fucking city corruption. Uh, Corruption commission to kind of see oversee what's going on. No. The, the cops are their own cops. They own their own bosses. They know exactly how they're going to get away with shit. They know the ins and outs of the law. They know all this stuff. And it's like they're actually fucking crooks. They're actually bigger criminals than the people that they're putting away. And the same happened with um, there's another dude that the guy caught. The same guy who caught me. He got Barry, and he got this other guy, million dollar man, who was. Um, yeah, driving from WA over, and he had a million dollars in his fuel tank. But then I think by the time it got to evidence, there was only, fucking no, 920,000 or something. It, was, it, it ended up being some really odd number on the evidence shit. Mm. And it's just like, you know, it just, it's just sus. It's the perfect crime, though, because, I mean, a guy's not going to be like, oh, where's the... <laughs> where's the extra 10 where's kilos, the extra 10 kilos that puts me yeah. into the next bracket? Yeah, exactly. And the extra cash, it's like, it's, of course. It's the perfect crime. And, yeah, poor Barry's sitting there just like, you fucking cunt. Like, I'm here. I'm, I'm about to do a long time for this anyway, and you've done worse than me. You've dealt the drugs. He's just transporting them. This guy, the cops have dealt the drugs. Exactly. They've done a worse crime. So, I mean, what <laughs> and they're hope, fucking carrying on doing it. What hope for having criminals abide by the law when, when, the cops when it's the don't. worst kept secret yeah. in the criminal underground that this kind of shit happens in the police force? Yeah, exactly. Everyone, how, in, how everyone knows. There's just, that just shows there's no, there's no integrity to what is supposed to be justice. Like. Yes. So my brother got, he got picked up for, for pot or whatever. Uh, and when the police raided his joint, you know, he was having a casual chit chat with him, very similar to yourself, right? Yeah. You know, he's got done, he's given himself up basically. They've closed the doors and uh, this fucking, one of the, the cops, one of the D's or whatever, just starts putting him in a chokehold and choking him. <laughs> And flogging him. And he's talking to him as he's choking him, going, what are you doing, mate? What are yeah. you doing? And then the guy's just laying into him and they, they just give him a hiding just because fucking, I guess, you know, he's, he's, can. No, he's known to police because they can, because they want to teach him a lesson, whatever. Some arbitrary reasoning. <laughs> yeah, and they just can. That's fucking, that's mental illness right there. It's sick. It's like, sick. It's, you're, like, you're, you're in the, the position of protecting and serving people, yet you're doing your job. It's going pretty smoothly, but you feel that there's some psychopathic need to inflict physical pain and suffering onto this person. Like, if you did that, if I, if I just did to you and I just start choking you, you'd be like, cops come t- take me to the madhouse. Like, and and you'd be sick. cut off from everybody in your social circle. Yeah, They'll be the like, what do? the fuck is wrong with you, mate? Yeah. Like, you need help. And like, you know, you'd be a pariah. Yeah. And these are the people who we put, oh, not me. I don't. I'm not from you. I don't vote. These are people that our society puts in charge of looking after it. Mate, they're just people. Like, I've played football with cops in the past. Um, I've, I've known a few people who've become cops, and they're just people, man. Like, these cops that I knew, they did drugs, they partied, 
Uh, they fucking bent the law to avoid getting done for drugs, like on football trips and shit. Yeah. You know, used their badge, flashed it when it was able to get someone out of, you know, out of trouble who might or might not have had an eight ball strapped to their ball sack at the airport. <laughs> you know, shit like that, you know. And you're like, oh, that's classic. But yeah. it's like, at the same time, it's like, well... He's a cop. Like, if he's doing that, they're fucking probably all doing that more or less. Yeah, and they don't believe in the shit that they're That's right. Doing. They like, don't believe in it, man. Yeah, so like... Drug drug criminalisation doesn't work. This is something that we've known for so long, but when you, you know, factor in all the money that's made off private prisons, you know, Australia has a... How crazy is this stat? Australia has a higher proportion of private prisoners uh, than America even. Wow. So like... Our, like you know what I mean, like percentage-wise, like they have a, a greater number yeah, yeah, of, yeah. of private prisoners, but percentage-wise to the general prison population, we have more prisoners in private prisons than uh, on a percentage proportion basis than even America. Yeah. So it's a big money spinner in this wow. country, man. Don't, yeah, don't, don't cost, get it. You know, it costs three over three hundred bucks a day to keep someone in jail. Mm, mm. And um, I guess they make money off that by you know, giving these huge contracts to the prison provider who then cuts all sorts of corners in delivering that prison service. Oh, and they also get the prisoners to do slave labour to produce the meals that you get in hospitals. Mm. They're made by prisoners. Hmm. And they're also fed to prisons. <laughs> the, the, the shittest quality meals you could, you could fucking imagine um, are also the ones being given to people who are trying to recover from health problems. Mm. Hmm. And it's all, it's all made with money. love. Yeah, made with love. In Broken Hill Prison. You, you give this food to people who can't complain. <laughs> There's no Yelp review for your fucking, for your mushroom patty and uh, mixed vegetables that you get from the CIS correction in, correction investment service. Nah, correction something service. Uh, but yeah, it's just fucking correctional industry services. Yeah, CIS. And they just make all this food. Wow. And it's just like, they're making money from it. But there's, you know, it's the obviously you're going to use the worst quality ingredients, the cheapest, because you don't have to tick any boxes for people's value for money. Well, you're not going to have, well, I'm not going to eat that food again. Like, you know, and it's just, that in itself is just like, fucked. All right. So back to the music. So let's hear the track that you made. All right. In prison. Here is Broken Hill Blues. I got them blues, I got them every day I got them blues, they won't go away I got them in the day, I got them in the night They won't let me loose, no, they're holding me tight
day I got them blues, they won't go away I got them in the day, got them in the night They won't let me lose, no, they hold me surviving prison through music through Wim Hof we, when we do Wim Hof together I notice that you've got what I would call the prison style Wim Hof <laughs> yeah. you just fucking half and half until you're fucking numb all over yeah. don't you do you know why because when I first started doing it I was like I, I felt the effects of it and I felt how like high it kind of gets you and like as someone who kind of we were talking about this the other day I was kind of like at the time I like enjoyed getting you know getting high and feeling those altered states and like and I was pushing myself to the point where, like, I had nothing to hold back from. Nothing. It's not like I'd go fucking go to work the next day. I was like, I'm going to push this as hard as I fucking can do it. I'm going to see how fucking high I can get. I'm going to see how much this is going to chill me out. Even, you know, holding your breath to the point of fucking passing out almost, you know. And, like, there's this one little technique in the book where it says, like, when you get to that point of feeling you have to breathe, you just fucking tense up every muscle in your body to trick your brain just to overcome that need to breathe for just a few seconds and then you get this second wind and you just go into this extra little and next little zone of just peace and just like quiet and you're just like you just yeah full it's full psychedelic mm. another experience and it was just like I'm like I'm here I want to get the biggest benefit from this as I can so I'm just going to push it and and it's it good that yeah I mean that would have basically if not saved your life in jail, it uh, definitely made jail a lot more bearable. And yeah, uh, I mean, because like, what were some of some of the things you're up against in there? Like, talk to us about some of the run-ins Just, you had. And yeah, some of the, so like, I guess your daily. There's a really interesting story you told me the other day. Yeah, so right, I'll tell you this one. So I'll tell it again for the people. <laughs> so I had just been moved from. Fuck from I'd moved cells. Eight times in total. Um, first I was with Tim, then went to Barry, then went to Mitch, and then went to Walk, and then I went in with Red and this other dude. And what proportion of the prisoners in there are Indigenous? Oh, at least 80, 85%. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, there's this kind of like black and white kind of thing in there, and I was like very, very aware to kind of not get on the wrong side of anyone, just kind of be chill and be myself, and also not not get involved in the shit that goes down. There's yeah, fights what, and stuff all the time. Yeah, what what some of the fucking <laughs> fights you've seen? I, I saw a massive, massive black dude fucking smash a screw with a mop, a mop, wooden mop handle. Um, that was interesting. I was like three feet away and I seen him getting like dragged out the door. Um, the screw was getting dragged out the door? No, nah, the, the, oh, the con. Um, that, that guy, was he literally just got picked up 
for like something, some kind of quite minor thing. And then like whilst he's in prison, he fucking assaults a guard. So like he would have been out in probably like a few weeks. And then now he's going to be in there for like two years mm-hmm. or whatever, whatever goes down after that. But um, yeah, so I got shifted around cells. Some were like disagreements with people. Some were like, you know, people's cellmates had left and then they kind of try and put you with people you get on with and then blah, blah, blah. And I was with, once with, yeah, the, the kind of head honcho of the jail and then like, you know, he wants to have his own space. <laughs> yeah, what was his deal? Well, how did, you, how did he become the head honcho? Of he was the like the indigenous nominator, uh, the indigenous kind of, um, they're, they're, yeah, and they're there for white and an indigenous um, guy who's kind of like, they'll talk to the guards and they have like a meeting once every month or two months and they'll, you know, they'll just be their spokesperson, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and I also think he was kind of running the kind of drug I mean, alleg- not even allegedly. Like this is, you'd see lots of people try giving him, uh, <laughs> giving him their fucking sweets and biscuits and and um, you know sh- soft drinks and stuff. Like it's the kind of like the prison trade system for like drugs coming in and like there's a huge organised system around drugs coming into the jail as well, like butte and pot and tobacco and. Some of it coming through the guards, some are coming through people within um, having visits, you know. That was one of the things that struck me about June E prison, like, I'll never forget this. You go down there, they they run a dog past you, and then you sit in the visitor's room, and, you know, there's no petition or whatever. You're just sitting in there. Mm. And uh, I think this was maximum. I can't remember. Someone will correct me on that. But uh, sitting in there, and fucking, I look across, and this chick who's visiting her boyfriend in jail is sitting on his lap and they're just making out. <laughs> and I'm just like, and no one seems to have a real problem with it. Yeah. Goes on for a bit and eventually she gets a tap on the shoulder and is like, you know, fucking you can't do that anymore. But like, if that's the, the level of intimacy that's allowed, the ability to exchange drugs, even by doing that, having it in your mouth yeah, and putting yeah, it in their yeah, mouth. That's exactly, let, how, let, exactly how it happens. Yeah, let alone fucking a million other ways. But yeah, it was so sloppy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> the, the like policing of drug exchange between the general public and um, the prison population. And my mum's my actually been to, uh, been to prison briefly. Um, really? Yeah, not for much. It was it was just for parking fines back in the day. What? Rack up like thousands and thousands of dollars in parking fines and then <laughs> go to jail. Go to jail for a month and clear. No way. <laughs> yeah, they stopped it because I think someone got beaten to death while doing that. Mm. But she went away for I can't remember how long. But um, one of the people inside was a what she calls my mum's pretty woke, but you know this is the prison terminology. Uh, the the head kind of bull dyke of the prison, you know, mm. your classical butchers, staunch lesbian uh, who ran the yard and she happened to be from mum's hometown and whatever, whatever, like over the, the course of the time that they became close. And then when mum was leaving, the lady's like, you know, Ange, would, would you consider bringing some drugs back in for us? Yeah. And mum was like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I, I, I can't, I, I, yeah. I'm not going to do that. And she's like, fucking good on you. <laughs> don't, don't ever look back at this joint like Sick. yeah that's what happened to me when i was leaving as well the guy was like can you fucking go to this person's house and get me a fucking mobile phone and throw it over the fence and then i was like oh, i mean i could but like don't really want to like i kind of want to get the fuck away from here as soon as i can and 
blah, blah, and then someone else was like, yeah, fucking don't do that. Just fucking go. I can't. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah fucking no. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so where were we? Well, just, oh, just prisons. Oh, yeah, so yeah. So you, you, we're talking about the, the yes, walk. Yes, I'm in this. The walk. Yeah, the, the walk, the walk, yeah. <laughs> so he was, yeah, he was, there, he was a nice, nice dude. He was in there fucking, you know, he was serving like five, six years or something for fucking manslaughter. I think he was, he was, yeah, he was in there for. He was coming to the end of his sentence. So he basically killed someone. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, he was my cellmate for a bit. And I remember like, remember, yeah, it's, it's kind of weird when you're in the bunk above someone who's like the head dude and you're just trying to do Wim Hof. <laughs> just like, he's like, the fuck are you doing, bro? <laughs> 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 oh, oh, I'm just, uh, just breathing. <laughs> just doing some breathing exercise. And like, oh yeah, fucking whatever, can't. I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> like, you know, you kind of, you get me, like, no one else wants to join in this shit. Um, no one else has any, like, a curiosity of wanting to kind of get on that. I remember one time I had a, I did a, I made a poster. And I was like, yoga class in the yard. I will pay you a can of Pepsi to come and do yoga with me. Yes, bro. And I got these two, two boys came and did it. And they fucking loved it. They did it one time and they were like, you know, stretching out. And then they never did it again because everyone took the piss out of them. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, <laughs> that's the, the shit you have to deal with. It's a know, macho, like, toxic culture in there. Yeah, and I was just like, fuck, that's what get me through. I was like, you know what? Like, I don't care. I'm doing this to fucking look after my health, yeah. my like, mental do the, health. Do, do some meth. Oh, you're a cool guy. Yeah, Punch yeah. on, stab someone. Yeah. Oh, cool guy. Exactly. Legend in prison, prison mentality. Look, af- look after yourself, you know, with your own power and like, you know. Not even prison mentality. Macho, fucking toxic, masculine mentality. It's yeah. all about School being yard. staunch and tough and, yeah. you know, taking care of yourself. So like lame something. <laughs> lame. But yeah, I mean, yeah, so I got moved into this one cell, which is the four of us. Um... Oh no, it was a six. No, it was an eight man cell, I think. Or six. Uh, maybe it was six. There's three of us in there at start. Me, Red, and this other dude who's a big lanky fella. Bit weird, but funny. Nice guy. Um, we were in there, and then we get this one other dude come in who was kind of, he got picked up maybe a week before or like a few days. And he was pretty like scrawny and like he's coming down with a big crack bender, big uh, ice ice mishap. So yeah, old mate on the crack bender. He's just he just come out of uh, his isolation or something, and then he was into our cell, and he was he was yeah he was coming down. And he was just talking some weird shit, and like when we were watching TV sometime, and he was like. He thinks that the TV was talking to him. I think he was in a bit of psychosis. And he was, um, yeah, he remember him coming up to me and he was like, oh, you want to go, bro? Like, you want to fight? And I was, like, I was just like, chilling in my bed, just watching TV. And like, I was like, oh, no, I'm all good, bro. He's like, oh, great. Let me know if you want to you go. Fuck. Like, <laughs> all right, uh, sure. <laughs> Whatever. And then he was the same way. He was like offering out, you know, the other boys as well. And then, yeah. It was weird, and then I think I ended up having some. I had some video call with um, my lawyer or or something, and by the time I came back from the video call with my lawyer, I came back to my cell, and it was like you know after you know hours, then we'd been locked in. I came back in, and it was just me and him in there. And the other two guys I was in the cell with, 
had asked to switch rooms because they didn't want to be in there with him. And I was like, fuck, all right. And he was like, oh, this is a bit weird. Whatever. And then, yeah, then he gets to maybe like eight, nine o'clock in the evening and these two other guys had just been transferred from another jail, I think Wellington, which is the next one down the line. Apparently pretty rough as jail, like maximum security, big jail. Yeah, near Dubbo. Yeah. Another big um, indigenous uh, community around Wellington and I imagine in the jail system. And yeah, he was... Because that's the the statistics uh, that indigenous overrepresent massively in the prison system. Oh, hugely, yeah. Mm. And yeah, they they just come in and I was just, you know, just yarning to them like, oh, where you come from, what you in for blah, blah blah this and that and then I remember yeah one of the guys was like oh fucking Wellington I was like oh I've heard it's pretty shit out there like and then the guy the cracky dude was like oh did you just say you're hot shit man and I'm like nah I said oh it sounds like pretty shit house over in Wellington prison and he's like why are you, why are you saying you're hot shit and I'm like Mate, I didn't say I'm hot shit. Like, and then out of nowhere, I just fucking before I even like had any chance to comprehend, I just fucking got this mad smack in the face. I was like, whoa, like, and like I've been hitting the hit a few times, you know, when you're younger and you have little scraps and stuff, and it's like, it's so like, takes you off, you know, by surprise. Mm. I remember just being like, oh fuck, like, and I remember going into this state of just like. Bit of panic, and I was like, "Oh, what the fuck? Like, mm. am I gonna have to fucking fight with this guy?" And then I remember, there's this table in the middle, and we're just having some food. And what time of the day is this? This is night time. This is probably like eight or nine in the evening. Right. And and I remember, I was just like, "Fuck, what am I gonna do? Like, this is this is the point where I choose to fucking like fight this cunt or to stick to my guns and like stick to my own being of you know being peaceful and." Um, not having to resort to violence. And then I remember just being, because I, I spoke to the guards the that day, I said, this guy's fucking weird in, out in the cell, like, you need to, like, get him out of there, or, you know, like, don't feel safe, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh, he spoke to the prison psychologist and they say he's all fine and all this stuff. I'm like, well, fuck, something's going to happen. Something's going to go down. Like, And then, yeah, this is the point where it was going down. And then... Yeah, in the cells you got this kind of like little intercom thing with a button on it which you press in like an emergency or a medical emergency or something like that. And I remember just like, you know, like pretty much the rule is in jail, like, you know, no, you never push the fucking button. Mm. You fucking sort, sort, sort it out in the, in the cells and I've shit. heard that, yeah, because you, once you push the button you can see you the dog. Pussy, like, yeah, yeah. And then like, I was just like, I, my way of thinking, I was like, fuck this, I'm not going to fucking... I don't want to fight this cunt because it's just going to escalate and, like, I don't want this cunt to, like, slip my throat in my sleeve or exactly. something. And I was just yeah. like, fuck it. I'm looking out, looking out. From, I can't take the chance. Like, I'm not going to fucking fight it. I'll just fucking push the thing. And then fucking guards come to the cell and like, what's going on? I'm like, this fucking cunt's, you know, this guy's fucking off his head. Like, get, I was like, get me the fuck out of here. Like, and then I opened the doors and then, like, you know, I walked out and went into, like, the, the bit where the, where the guards are. And they come in there, you know, I was in, I was out there and they come in there in the cell and they would have chat to him like, they were like, what was going on? And then apparently the guy was like, yeah, he was talking shit, so I fucking smacked him. <laughs> and so then like, that was him admitting to them that he'd, you know, been 
been violent and you know it hit me and then oh, I remember being out there and like you know and then you hear all the fucking commotion going on the other side everyone's like oh, what's going on everyone's like looking at the little gaps in their doors and like rah, 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 like everyone, the, the whole fucking the, the fucking jungle starts you know making noise yeah all the caged animals start squawking yeah around. yeah yeah and feeding time frenzy fuck. and then uh <laughs> yeah and I've been there and I've been like, all right, fuck, all right, now I'm in this other place. Like, what am I going to do now? Like, I can't be going, like, like snitching. And I was like, fuck. And I was like, yeah, he just fucking just kind of just lost it and just went skits. And, like, and then they fucking sent me to the bloody the nurse's <coughs> office. And, um, and I remember as I was waiting to go out, they were waiting to take me out to the nurse's office. My, my mate Tyrell put his, his thing down and he's like, what's going on? And I was like, and he was just like, he mouthed to me, he like, you know, like put his, he's like, don't, don't say fucking anything. Like, mm. you know. Don't dob on him. Yeah. Which was like, you know, and I was like, right, this is kind of serious. And I knew like the serious, and I was like, fuck, you know. Because I'd seen, I'd seen the repercussions of, the guy who was in the cell with me before, Red. He, somehow, he got beaten the fuck out of a few days before. Because some people thought he snitched on someone. I know he wouldn't have. But, like, you know, when there's a rumour, <coughs> there's no getting away from it. And, like, wow, he, he got his head kicked in. His fucking face was all out here. And, like, I'm just like, oh, God, like, this is what you're dealing with. That's heavy. So, yeah, I went to the nursing. They're like, what happened? And I was like, nothing. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> Send you back in. And then I went to the guys, like, you've got to put me in another cell, like, with someone else. And then... They put me in this other cell, which I moved to for, you know, another few weeks and with some people who I kind of knew. That's hard, though, because, you know, the way you get put in another cell is by dobbing. So if you don't dob, you don't necessarily get the, the different cell or get put on protection. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Like but somehow you convinced the, the screw to still yeah, let you out of Yeah, I was cell. just like... I, I just my story was like because that's know, an incentive <coughs> to dob. The isn't guy it? was going nuts. Like, I just didn't want to be around it. And, like, somehow, somehow... Word didn't get out that I'd fucking dobbed on anyone or anything like that. And, like, I managed to fucking, yeah, get myself out of the shit without reaping the consequences of going against, you know, you know inmate prison law kind of thing. And, yeah, then, like, afterwards I was, like, fucking a bit on edge, like, you know, whenever I see this guy, because he ended up getting put in isolation for a few days after that while he's still coming down off his bender. And, um... Yeah, then, like, I was like, fuck, you know, he'd come to my room and, like, oh, can I have some milk and shit? And I was like, yeah, bro, fucking sure, like, <coughs> have some milk. And I was just, you know, being kind, mm. being nice to this person who's obviously fucking pretty fucked up. Is <coughs> that water? Yeah, bro. And, um, yeah, and then nothing ever came of it. And um, I remember people saying, oh, you got to fucking stand up for yourself and you, gotta, you should bash that cunt and all this stuff. And I was just like, <coughs> I'm not going to do it. Yeah. No, you chose the right path, man. Holy shit. Mm. Full credit to the breathing technique and, you know, <coughs> the yoga for, for keeping you in a clear mind and not, fuck, mate, you had to thread the needle there. You had to thread the needle. Yeah, and be real careful about, you know, your reputation because, you know, once you've got that reputation or... <coughs> people can't trust you then you're you're a dog you're fucking you're hated by everyone well, no matter what and then yeah I mean, a few weeks went past and like it was probably another four weeks or so 
and I was just keeping nice to this guy and like never brought anything up again. And I remember he came into my room one day to ask for some milk, and I was like, "Yeah, fuck sure, man, have some." And then afterwards he was like, "Oh yeah, fuck, real sorry about that shit happened before, man. I was real scat and I was like all this and that." And you know he kind of leveled himself out by then, and I was like in the back of my mind, I kind of that was what I was hoping for that he would kind of come around and that I wouldn't have to go the other way to kind of resolve the situation. And it was just like, you know, I came back and I was like, oh, yeah, like, you know, it's all good. Like, did the right thing. Mm. And, yeah, that Man. was that that's, little story. That's such a wild story. I mean, <clears throat> fire out. Like, just, it's like a test. It's like... How's that with coffin? Were you eating those <laughs> coconut flakes? <laughs> no. Fuck it. Oh, I swear they just so get so stuck in your throat. Um, you know, maybe we're just dying of a fucking cold. The, the wind just turned and went so psycho west and it's freezing. <laughs> yeah. Working shorts. It was so hot all day. Sitting in this garage. Um, yeah, man. Fucking hell. You had to thread the needle. And it's like a test. It's like, whose law do you abide by? The law of the prison or the law of the police? And... You know, so far you should have learned by now that you can't trust in the law of the police and the law of the prison guards to keep you safe. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's a fucking farce. So, you know, I guess better to uh, <coughs> acknowledge the immediate law, which was the prison law. That, that was the law that was going to sting you quicker than the fucking yeah. other law. I well, mean, it's going to... Stay gonna... by the law of myself as well. Just, mm. <coughs> just being peaceful. <coughs> being peaceful is... Uh, <laughs> Bro, like, the more you stay peaceful, the better everything gets and always mm. is. And, like, you know, it's, it's like, a, yeah, you look at what someone like Gandhi accomplished through peace. Like, he didn't fight. He just fucking told everyone to just sit down. Just sit down and do nothing. <laughs> like, they can, uh, yeah, well, they can, do they want to really keep clubbing people on the ground who are just yeah, sitting there? Exactly. Like, how, how you know. And, uh, you know, they got rid of Britain from India doing that, just sitting there, not fighting it, being peaceful. Um, it's only, it takes a, a certain kind of person to, to really beat down on a man of peace. And, and it, even that will get old pretty quick, I reckon. Like, yeah. And people will always back, <coughs> back you Because <coughs> I it's think... Like, you see what happened within Australia over the last couple of years, you know, people being peaceful and stuff during the... Uh, the protests and stuff and the, you know you witness old grannies getting fucking pushed around for going for a walk in the park and like having a coffee and like yeah soon enough the view of the public towards the police just got to the point of like yeah what the fuck is what's going on like these people aren't doing anything like you know you see old Doris getting fucking you know <laughs> getting bashed by a cop and there's any anyone's grandma can relate to like oh they're just like me and the cops are treating them like this like something's wrong what was that what was that example <coughs> that oh, just like about? the police, police brutality and yeah. stuff within to old ladies yeah <coughs> um, within you know the all, this, all the COVID kind of wars ah, coming yeah, through yeah, and yeah, like yeah, yeah. them just getting way out of hand of their you know positions of power mm. and using you know, violent force to enforce things which, you know, makes they're, they're turning normal people into criminals. Yeah, for they just are. living their lives. 
they are, man. The the state thrives on control and and locking people up. There's good money in uh, both of those things. It turns out. So yeah. you're also kidnapped uh, in Sumba trying to surf Oki's left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, another little brush of myself with the law <coughs> on a different in a different land. So this was like probably a year or so before the jail experience. Um, I'd gone to New Zealand to do a little snow trip, um, catch up with some mates over there after, yeah, after being away for a while. I went over there and then it was also like the first kind of time going back to my old kind of life after my mum had died and kind of expecting things to kind of be the way they were. But then, you know, I was, I was like, oh, just go back to New Zealand, everything will be fine. And got back there and then I went into a big depression because, yeah, things weren't the way they were and there was still, you know, this pain and grief going through. I was expecting to be there for a couple of months skiing and then the snow was a bit shit. So then I was with my mate Shay, who he was going through some women troubles at the time and then I was also, I was seeing this chick over there before um, my mum died and then, you know, it became apparent that, you know, that, that relationship wasn't going to work out. <clears throat> and then we were just like, fuck it, like, what do you do when life gets tough, man? You, you just fucking go to Indo and get some barrels and you fucking get back on the good parts. Um, so, yeah, we were like, fuck, let's go Tried to Indo. Tried and tested, my friend. Tried and Never tested. Never failed. Never fails. So, yeah, I went back there and um, we went to Indo and hang out in Bali for a little bit. And then we were like, yeah, we want to go, for, you know, not stay in Bali. I'll get stuck into the vortex. So we went to... Went to Sumbawa for we we rode out to Sumbawa um, on the little scooters for a couple of weeks. Scored some mad waves over there, Scar Reef and um, Super Sucks, um, and yeah, had a fucking hell time. And then we were like, we went back to Bali to see a mate, and then we were like, alright, we want to go somewhere else. Let's go to Sumba. I'd always seen it on the map and like thought, yeah, fucking probably some good stuff over there. But you never really hear too much about it. <coughs> so we get over there. We flew over and we stayed at this little surf camp um, uh, run by this local guy. And he was just building it and, yeah, we fucking... He used to work as a security guard for the the, the Niha Resort, oh, uh, yeah. where Oki's left is, this mm. multi-million dollar fucking place, which is... <laughs> costs $1,000 a night to stay there, which is, you know, right in front of Oki's left. Mm, it's an iconic joint, like... Uh... <coughs> fully privatised the wave and I guess it's it's frequented by, you know, like Silicon Valley tech bros and yeah. whatnot. People that and you really have to, rich people. So how's it you've got to pay a thousand dollars a night and you gotta pay two hundred dollars to book a session on the wave. Oh, <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> but yeah. And uh, they always manage to to convince people to agree to that because, you know, they convince the locals that, yeah, by them paying $200 a session, we're able to then pass those profits on to the community and, like, yeah. you, know, you guys will stay um, relatively affluent thanks to this resort and the privatising of this wave. And yeah. there's a bit of truth to that. For sure, but in, at the cost of freedom to surf on the ocean in certain places where, you know, that it you know, before this place existed, it had been free for everyone to go to. Yeah. But yeah, so... Well, and I guess like, uh, you know, 
a thousand dollars US a night and up is yeah. the com, and like I guarantee you, the, the smallest fucking slice of that is making it to the local community. Like, yeah, and they say that. They're, yeah, they're building wells and stuff over there, and they employ a lot of people. But <coughs> what did the people do there before they came along? They were still living normal life for them, I guess. And um, largely oblivious to the perfect freight training left <laughs> in front of them, as they picked shells off the reef and fished and lived an otherwise uh, sustainable yeah. indigenous life. Yeah, it was amazing actually seeing the... Were they packing it? Maybe they were packing it on a liar or body whomping fucking <laughs> off his leg. <laughs> Maybe. Pretty scared to get fucking cut to shreds. But yeah, the guy who was running our surf camp, he, um, he used to work there as a security guard and he told us, we were t- talking to him about there's a big swell coming and he was saying, oh, if you go, you got to go down this road and you can park your bikes up here and you walk down here and you know you get to the beach and you paddle out he's like you know if anyone asks don't tell him i told you maybe you have to bleep out his name (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah so we um yeah swell was on it was fucking gonna be big and we were like fuck yeah like let's fucking go and hit it we got up at like three in the morning um packed our fucking packed our boards all I had on me was like a fucking 510 because <laughs> I fucking bust the fin box out of my other board the day before. And, um, yeah, so we drive down there, me, Shay, and uh, our other mate. Um, fuck, what was his name? I'll remember it soon. A good lad from, uh, from New Zealand. Uh, he, yeah, we got down there, parked our bikes, and we are walking through these rice paddies and then, like, along these little you know stone walls and then you come to these like little aqueducts where they you know they run the water between the paddies which are like you know 10 meters up and they're like or a foot across and, you know shuffling there in the dark your head torches on and like yeah we were like oh fuck it was a fucking full mission man it was so sick and we um yeah then remember we saw this light this headlamp come from nowhere and we're like oh fuck man they got security all the way down here like, is this it we got busted and this guy comes up and um, this local dude, he must have been just a farmer. And we were like, oh, uh, which way? Is that? Ombak, you know, which way to the way? Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, fucking through here. And we took his, took his uh, directions and got down there. I remember we were probably like maybe a kilometre down the beach. <laughs> I love from that where... the local farmer just whipped you into, straight <laughs> yeah. into the track. Oh, yeah, yeah, fucking earth, this way, this way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. we were like about K Pack down the beach. a couple for me, boys. <laughs> Legend. On Bakbagus, brother. Big 12 today. Is that what he said? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. And, uh, yeah, we packed our fucking bags in these bushes. And the fucking shore break was, like, four to six foot. Like, we fucking almost got smashed just paddling out. And we were oh, fuck. Like, we made it out. And we paddled the way up as the sun was coming up. Was it cooking? It was fucking cooking, man. It was cooking, but too much. Almost, so we got out there. And Big, it's like, like a six to eight foot freighting Indo pits. Yeah, as good as it yeah. is. In, this is the thing, man, about surfing Indonesia. As good as it is in the surf films and the photos, when you're confronted with a six to eight foot freight train, perfect Indo pit, it's fucking terrifying. Yeah, man. for sure. Because you you're like, how the fuck off. can I even get on there? Yeah, and <laughs> you, you have to make the wave, otherwise you're getting rinsed across the shallowest reef. But, you know, it's very yeah. doable, so... 
<laughs> yeah. The risk and reward kind of scenario. Mm. But we were like, this is it. This is our chance to say, fucking Aki's after. Fuck this fucking. Fuck me, Amazon. We can still do it. Blah, blah, blah. Like, it can be done. Fucking oh. And we got Fight out there spirit. and it was, it was fucking off its head, eh? Like, it was coming in, so it was like, you needed a bigger board to get on before it started fucking throwing. Because mm. once it started throwing, the chances of you getting in, paddling in that throw zone and not getting fucking completely rinsed were like, fucking so slim <laughs> so so slim and uh yeah found it out the hard way like, i remember going to take off in the first one just getting fucking rolled like go, getting held down and you look you get out and you're like bump bouncing across the reef and you look up and you're like fuck 200 meters down from where the fucking wave was breaking in the first place yeah. holy shit Flushed. fucking paddle back out same thing happened again i remember shay got one um wilson Here's the other bike. He got one. And they got a couple and then I was like, no, I fucking gotta get gotta get one, you know, like on this fucking five ten. <laughs> and um I managed to get this one. It was like a fucking set wave. I pretty much just got on it so early because it was just coming up fat. And I got on it and pretty much just like <laughs> just straight lined it down. <laughs> Didn't even get as much of a ride on it. I was just holding on for dear life. Oh fuck. <laughs> Coming past the boys and they're like, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, fuck, all right, got it, got a wave. And then we're out there for a bit longer. And then this fucking dude, this African dude on the jet ski comes out, who was like the lifeguard at the resort. And we thought, oh, he's going to fucking tell us to fuck off. And he came out and he's just like, Fuck yeah, boys! <laughs> you having a go? Like, good on you! And fucking uh, legend. Whoever that lifeguard is, you're the man. Yeah. Holding it down for the people, yeah. not kicking the boys out. Yeah. Iconic. I've actually known a uh, uh, a guy from the Goldie, Dan, who uh, worked as a, a lifeguard at Sumba. Great surfer. Might be listening. Good on you, Dan. Also holding it down for the people. Good Can you, pack Dan. it at Lakey Peak. <laughs> but yeah, he just kind of told us where to go in to the beach to not get really fucked on the on the rocks and the wreck and the reef he's like yeah either that or you got to paddle around like 2k's around the corner actually no he was telling us that's where we had to go 2k's around the corner because otherwise you're going to get slammed and then um yeah then all of a sudden it was just me and shay out there wilson had got one and then i think he got washed up and then he was on the beach and we could we could kind of we we're looking out like fuck there's a lot of people on the beach <laughs> what's going on and then me and Shay, I think Shay got ahead of me, heading in, and then I was, you know, following suit. I was like, I'll just try and get one more, and then it became apparent that it was just, it was too gnarly. It was too gnarly to really, and it just took too much out of you to try and really get in that zone to get a fucking, like, gnarly, sick pit. Maybe on a bigger board, maybe another day. But, um, yeah, then it ended up, you know, paddling in, and then fuck, come, coming back in on the shore break was like, you're going to break your board or break your back or get smashed on these rocks and just made it like a pinball just like in between all these rocks. <laughs> Got into the beach and I could see there was a lot of Indos on the beach. And mm. our mates, we got there. Tidak bagus, Taman. Tidak bagus. There was a lot of angry people because uh, they'd found our bags, our board bags and stuff, like K's up the beach. They had them there and they were like, there was probably like 10 of them. I've got a photo actually somewhere. And um, yeah, and then the manager of the hotel was there, this English dude. And he was furious. He was just like, I'm fucking sick of this, like fucking third time this week. <laughs> he's kind of trying to come down to surf in his ways, so you're not allowed, blah, blah. And he's like, no, I fucking had enough. Like, 
you guys come with us, like, and they pretty much were like, yeah, you guys are like under arrest. <laughs> and he's like 10 Indo um, Sekis all there. And yeah, they were like packing some big old swords. Yeah, it, so on Sumba, pretty much all the, the guys have these big machetes. Mm. Everyone walks around with these big machetes. Um, so yeah, we were just like, fuck. Just getting well, frog we're, marched well, we're not We're not going to fucking get away from this situation. Like, no. They're not going to let us walk away. So yeah, the frog marches up the resort and you know, all these like people are staying there, like walking past, like, oh, the fuck? Like, <laughs> these there, those guys are surfing. <laughs> and we, um, yeah, we, they took us into like this back room at the hotel and they're like, come on, give us some water and stuff. And they're like, and um, yeah, the manager of the hotel had called the head of the cops and the head of the army who kind of like patrolled that kind of part of the island. Wow. They're like, yeah, they're coming down. Um, <laughs> they're coming down to, uh, for ra- of, rain, to rain justice. Yeah, for a bit of backsheesh. <laughs> yeah. bit of backsheesh out the back door. Sheesh. Yeah, you know what the boys are coming down for. They yeah. know what they're coming down for. Just a couple of roops on the sly, a few fucking little... Blue and pink numbers. Yeah. A couple of hundred thousand. Well, actually, by that point, it wasn't... Well, that was not all they wanted. They wanted to fuck set an example. They were saying, like, you know, you, you, you're coming here and you're kind of taken away from the exclusivity of the resort, blah, 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 and they explained that whole... Like, oh, this is the rice bowl for the people, you know? And, um, you know, we just can't have you guys coming and expecting you can just come and do this, you know? So, and he's like, well, you actually trespassed on the resort when you kind of came back in. From the surf, because mm. where we powered out wasn't the property of the resort, mm. but where we came in, we were trespassing ah. on the beach. So like, yeah, and so you know, Max, you, know, you can get you can get sent to jail here for two years for trespassing. Could you have come in at the other spot? We could have. Oh, you blew it! Why didn't you do that? <laughs> Wilson went in first, man. We couldn't leave him. <laughs> oh, what an idiot! <laughs> we're not going to leave on the beach. <laughs> But Definitely yeah, but don't even like if we had come in the other spot, they, they would have been there waiting for us. You know, oh, they weren't yeah. happy. You definitely don't paddle up on the private beach of the fucking <laughs> giant megalithic resort right there. Yeah. But then, yeah, they were like, you know, what, what are you going to do to, you know, who told you about this place? Who told you where to come? Who told, where'd you park your bikes? All this. And then these two, the, the two cops that came down with these kids in hoodies on the back of a dirt bike with a fucking <laughs> AK-47 on his back. True. <laughs> yeah. And um, that was the... the the cops and then yeah the guy in the fucking army gear will come down and and yeah we were just like dude like we just fucking we're not here to take away we're not here to fucking fuck these people over we're just here to surf like and that's it like and that's we had no idea about all this <coughs> all this exclusivity these rules <coughs> blah 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 we didn't see any signs you know we just paddled out from down there and whatever and then, yeah, this dude made us, he, he typed out these little contracts, <laughs> took all our fingerprints and made us sign, <laughs> sign this waiver that said we'd never return to uh, the Niha Resort unless we were paying guests. <laughs> <laughs> Duh. <laughs> and, um, and if we did, then we would be, um, you know, bound to the full extent of the law. Yeah. And, yeah, and then... In the end, the fucking the guy from the army ended up giving us a ride to uh, our bikes. Oh, perfect. <laughs> let, us, let us go. They're such nice people, Indos, even when there's uh, some, you know, neo-colonial superpower breathing <laughs> down the back of their necks. They're like kind of still having a laugh. Like it's all a pantomime. Like no one knows the corruption pantomime better than the Indonesians. Yeah. 
but made up. It's wild, but it's funny because I wrote that story down when I was in jail. When I was so when I was in there, one of the things I did to kind of keep me from losing myself, losing who I was, was to write these stories of cool shit that I've done mm. and remember like what I was about and right. like, not not believe the not believe the environment that I was in of being you know <clears throat> a worthless piece of shit criminal mm. and not to kind of get into that mindset because every day you're treated like that you're mm. treated like you're not to be trusted you're treated like you're a bad person you're treated like you know you're not worthy of your freedom you're not worthy well, to be crushing you within the world so I had to just to tap into my memories and remember like all this stuff and all this the life that I'd lived up until then to kind of keep me going and like writing it was so it was so therapeutic so fun man like, that's rad man yeah fuck that's really interesting um but yeah fuck man we could yarn on for hours I mean <laughs> yeah that's so interesting just like keeping yourself in a different reality constantly to avoid being in the present reality like you're living in your memories yeah to escape the present and like in some ways like that's like a a diabolical mental health plan you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. in the real world yeah like if you're constantly living on memories it's you know that's what they tell you is like the opposite of being present I guess for sure living in the past yeah living in the past but for your present day reality living in the past was the safest place and the best place to be and, and, and fuck man it's just insane how the prison system crushes your morale crushes your spirit crushes your sense of self like yeah. it makes you think that you are a worthless miserable low life it, it takes people who were already heavily traumatized from abusive homes from uh, drug addicted parents uh, who may have been sexually abused molested raped P- people who had no choice in life who were f- getting fucked from the moment they come out the womb and it puts them in a situation that is prison that essentially just tells them reinforces all of that and only multiplies it yeah and it's, then it's we, a ptsd factory yeah it is. Prison is. It, like, is. it is it's taken me a long time to kind of recover from I've noticed so many triggers going off in myself. Even you know, back in the free world, like there'd be times where I'd be in certain situations, being told what to do, or like you know, just in certain things that happen, and you're like, you go into feeling this immense stress and immense like stuff, which is kind of irrational for the situation. And it takes me a long time to unpick. Like, oh, it's because last time I was in this fucking zone of being, you know, controlled, told what to do. And, you know, had my freedoms limited, I was in jail, which was a very traumatic experience, very stressful. And it brings on, you know, your body remembers that stress. Like going through COVID and stuff, having lockdowns and like having that big fear of the cops and everything was just like such a, that was kind of my healing was like dealing with that. It was like so confrontational, like that whole thing repeating itself. I feel like I'm in prison, but I'm I'm free. Mm. So how can I fucking, you know, well, the prison, rise above it? The prison is the condition of PTSD. That's the prison man. You know, I was diagnosed with complex PTSD and, I've, you know, after reading the book, The Body Keeps the Score, like up until I read that book, I didn't even think it was a legitimate condition. You know, yeah. I used to think of PTSD as a bit being a bit woo-woo and like, oh, yeah, like never gave it two thoughts. And then, you know, when things started getting tough and I started looking around for answers and I was like, I started telling up all the times I've been knocked out 
and uh, you know there was like three, three or four like loss of consciousness and twelve to fifteen like concussions and like started to you know analyze the reasons around why I'd been concussed or knocked out that mm. many times and um, I started realizing like and then like starting to map that onto the, the childhood stuff you know the kind of broken pretty violent upbringing and like you start to kind of map it all together and you're like oh fuck <clears throat> maybe there is something to this PTSD and then you read the fucking the book I think it was actually a psychologist who first introduced me to the PTSD in a you know a re- a theoretical sense like she explained to me what it was yeah and then I encouraged me to get this book The Body Keeps the Score and I started reading that book and I can't finish it because it becomes too it's so brutal and the studies and the scientific literature is, is so resolute and um, the health outcomes are so bad from PTSD that by reading too much of that book, it started to make it seem like it was almost inevitable that I would end up like that. Yeah. And that was like, a, that's a horrible way to think. For that's sure. I've had the same things like, you know, yeah, you read a lot into, you know, stuff that kind of, can be very much apparent in your situation and you start... You don't want to kind of become a victim of that and, like... No, you've got to use it as motivation yeah. to, to improve your life and, and adopt healthy behaviours, but, you know... And it, it proved that, but at a certain point, it tips from motivation into fear. Um, those things are kind of, like, fear and motivation are almost closely related yeah, in a lot sure. of ways. Um, but... Yeah, like, you know, that's why I've hit hit the ground running so hard, I guess. We've, you know, you've seen the amount of, like, work that I put in. and I'm, I hear you doing Wim Hof every morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet. Wake me up. And, uh, you know, getting the ice bars and being very stringent with the meditation and, and exercise and healthy eating and, and like, really yeah. stacking all the healing and regenerative methodology, methodologies that are available on top of each other. Um, and that's because I read that book and it scared the fucking shit out of me and uh you know what i can tell you about ptsd that you probably already know but the listeners might not is that it's like you know living in a living in an emotional minefield and like these triggers like when they go off it makes you sick for you know, at least an entire, like that day and at least another day, but it can easily become a negative cycle and you can easily end up spending, having more bad days than good days, put it that way. Mm. Um, you know. You get into over-analysis, like your brain just overanalyzes all these situations and like, because it's trying to, trying to protect you from these triggers, but then the triggers are just stuff that happens in normal life. So then it's like, the stress then is you withdraw from like, having to interact with normal life to for you scared of the triggers rather than processing them mm. to like you know retrain your mind i feel like that's you know that's part of the biggest part of the healing is you know because you can't just expect that to set your life up so controlled that nothing's going to set you off that's it it's about having the resilience to deal with those daily stresses that inevitably mm. occur like every day and like that's what I'm saying. It's, it's like you live in this emotional minefield where those daily stresses are setting you off 
fucking big time. And you can't uh, get out of it. And it, you can't get out of it. And uh, it's a, it is a prison. The condition's the prison. That the trauma is the prison. Yeah. And uh, to lock people up in prison who are already <coughs> in that prison, it's it's um, it's fucking twisted. And you know these people were born into these prisons. Is the other thing. Prisonception. Uh, they were born into trauma. They were, you know, their, their parents were already incarcerated before and after, and sometimes during their birth. So like, you know, like, yeah. It's so generational it, trauma as well. Like, especially within the indigenous community, you know, uh, there's so much like generation-held trauma that passes down from one to another. Like, there's mm-hmm. there's so much of that. There's so much work to kind of undo it all. Yeah. And just attempt to undo it. Yeah, and you know, it, it, yeah, fucking earth. Trauma, it doesn't uh, discriminate by colour. I've learned that too, you know, like um, plenty of trauma in white populations, you know, the, the Second World War and the Vietnam War weren't picnics either. No. Nah. Um, and there's a lot of people out there with fathers and grandfathers who fought in those and, and you know, if you fight in those, you got it, basically. A war is a, the PTSD <laughs> yeah, factory, yeah, for bro. sure. Yeah. And tell. It's uh, so... It's a gnarly thing, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of good literature coming out about uh, MDMA as a, a really good uh, two doses of MDMA can cure like two thirds of, of PTSD. Crazy statistics coming out of uh, the MAP studies in New Zealand, Israel, Canada, and somewhere else I've forgotten. But um, I've got, I've had one course of MDMA as a, a PTSD therapy and, um, I'll actually, I'll try and get the shut, the, the doctor, you know, was a, this guy was such a high-end medical professional and the, the service he provided was so amazing and it was all completely underground and, <clears throat> um, and I won't reveal anything more than that, but, uh, you know, it is accessible. Uh, if you ask around at freaking a yoga place or a health food place or whatever, like there is these underground people working in the community who are fucking amazing and, you know, Godspeed to them that providing an incredible, pure service. Um, uh, and, yeah, I haven't followed through with the second treatment yet, but I should because you meant to get to, and I just found the process uh, very difficult. How, they give you a recording of the session, so yeah. it's like five hours or something of True. you talking um, about shit high on MDMA, and I fucking couldn't listen to it, man. <laughs> I got about 15 minutes here. Imagine yeah. watching yourself on a night out on MDMA. That's fucking enough. hell, bro. Yeah. Like oh, going man. talking through it's, all so the big DNMs. Of, yeah, it's with a bit no, of, uh, yeah, oh, no partying involved. I don't know what is the right mood to listen to that, but um, yeah, it was. So I ha- it's a bit of a blockage there. I've got to get through that. That was ages ago. But uh, man, I guess the thing is, uh, you know, best of luck with your journey on that i can only recommend it's a very common condition ptsd it doesn't take a whole lot to generate it and there's levels to it but uh you got to read the the book the body keeps the score and uh really follow uh, what's going on um with uh like what's happening with the mdma trials is really interesting you can follow that through the maps maps that uh that organization um, and there's a bunch of podcasts on Tim Ferriss uh, with Rick Doblin. Anything by Rick Doblin is really instructive in that MDMA PTSD space. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and Wim Hof, meditation, yoga, fucking good sleeps. Ice baths, man, is the thing that we do. And yeah. that is all about... This is one of the biggest defences for PTSD because it trains the body 
to deal with uh, cold stress, uh, emotional stress and heat stress, yeah. which all register as the same thing in the body. I didn't explain that very well. Um, yeah, so if you're training yourself to deal with cold stress uh, by sitting in ice, you're training your body to deal with emotional stress. So when we get triggered, our bodies don't flush with cortisol. We, yeah. don't, go, we don't go into the fight and flight mode. We don't create that intense biochemical surge of toxins that leaves us sick for one to two to three to indefinite amount of days. Um, it's very good, highly recommended. Mate, finally, all of the hardship, all of the grit, all of the hoffs, all of the fucking yoga in the center of the prison yard, all of the threading of the needle of life, it all fucking culminated in your band, Couch Wizard, who I reckon are fucking epic. Yeah, they're fucking epic. <laughs> we are. <laughs> the boys are on one and about to pop off. Um, we've been hearing tracks this whole episode uh, from them. But, mate, talk to us about the Wizards and uh, the musical influences and, uh, yeah. Yeah, so just before I set off on my trip to go get busted, to go to hell, I... Um, that's when I met Clint, who's uh, our lead guitarist, and I'd known Kai from before. Um, Is Clint the one who went to the? He's a, so you the kung yeah. fu master. Yeah. The, so <laughs> yeah. your band members are all from Lennox Head up here, um, and one of them, being from Lennox, thought naturally he was going to go to a Shaolin temple in uh, the middle of some fucking giant city in China yeah. and trained to be uh, a Shaolin monk or trained with the Shaolin monks and Shaolin warriors. Yeah. He, uh, we just jammed and like... He's a character. And, yeah, he's, he's a nerd, but he's a character. <laughs> that's like he's the fucking, that is like peak nerdism <clears throat> right there. He's like, he's like the living temple. embodiment of fucking Stevie Ray Vaughan. He's picked up his juju from somewhere, maybe from the monks they gave it to him. But, um, yeah, so I met those boys and had a little jam, and I was like, fuck, yeah, this is cool. Let's do it again. And then um, I, yeah, and then I met Luda at a, a house party um, out in Bangalore once I got out of jail. Um, and he gave me a big rock MDMA. I was like, oh, this guy, we're going to be friends. <laughs> the old crystal handshake, eh? He, he'll, he'll, hello, mate. He'll fucking... He'd be my doctor for this MDMA therapy. <laughs> but yeah, I remember being once I, when I was in there, I was like, all I want to do is get out of here and make music and start a band. And like, because it's, it's something, a dream I'd had since childhood. And like, I was like, it's, it's 100% possible, you know, no matter which way this goes. And luckily, I ended up getting out after three months. Um, I got a fucking real good lawyer. And uh, yeah, he turned, turned the fucking scales around, turned the tide and within, you know, a few weeks of having this good lawyer from Sydney come out and, you know, cost a few cost a few dollars, but man, charge dropped, got out, possession, got a fucking section ten, which is no criminal record. And I fucking walked out of there and I was That's like, That's insane. Fucking just I'm, from having a good lawyer. Yeah. You just gotta grease the palms. Bit of buck shit for the system. Bit of first world buck shit. And you're fucking out the door. A few <laughs> yeah. rupees to the fucking <laughs> Local cops or local solicitor. Yeah. And then, yeah, fucking came back to Byron and, um, yeah, started jamming with the boys. And then our friend Loki had a little escape shop, um, T 
t-shirt printing kind of night with our other friend Geordie was doing a, a photo um, exhibition. We played with uh, this band called Dear Doing It and yeah, it was. we just had a week to write a 20 minute set and we fucking played, you know, played live for the first time. We were just like, fuck yeah, that's the best feeling ever. Let's keep doing this. And we wrote some more songs and like, yeah, that's where our songs like Valley of Frost and um, Magic and yeah, Ketterbaf <laughs> and it all came from and yeah, we just and we got to we got offered to play the Northern environment, which was like that was the whole reason I came to this area in the first place was to watch Skeggs play there when I first ever came over here a few years ago. And I was always like, fuck yeah, that'll be sick to play there one day. And then yeah, we did. And um, yeah, that was right before COVID all started, man. And we were just on this bus, we were like, fuck, we've got something, we've got this something here, like Couch Wizard, like the sound, like, and we played this show, we were opening act, and because, you know, the boys are all from here, all our mates came down, the fucking place was rammo, like, jam-packed, 7.30, Northern was, fucking back room was full, and we were like, right, this is definitely something that we got to continue. Mate, the, the show you guys played to close the night at the flood relief gig at the Northern, yeah. which was a fucking sellout plus 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 <laughs> fucking turbo. The cut joint was the rafters, fucking. Man. It was like a it was like a Mad Magazine cartoon in there. It was packed, <laughs> and uh, yeah, the boys closed the night out, and it was fever pitch. It had been a fucked up few weeks, uh, you know, sifting through mud and uh, dealing with the fucking tragedy of the floods up here and uh it was a big benefit gig of a lot of local bands some iconic local bands uh nick colby uh it was in a flying machine flying machine yeah yeah Uh, yeah. and then you boys just fucking sent it there mate it was uh an iconic performance fuck i just remember yeah i can be in front and center shredding (laughs) on the guitar and belting it out yeah, that's where because it's so classic. much energy. It's real raw passion. It's real feeling like, and that's where I got a lot of you know a lot of the things to write the songs from is like, it comes from something far deeper within me of like you know being in these fucking rock bottom places and like yes brother feeling like that's when it fucking it comes out so hard because it's so true. The grit is real. <laughs> it's not fake grit. It's fucking... You can't it's, fake it's, grit. It's, That's it's the best thing somewhere. about it. Yeah. <laughs> you can fucking grit your driveway, but you can't fucking buy it. Uh, you cannot buy that out. shit. It's earned through fucking the hardship of life. And, yeah, and then that's where it, it feels like, to me, that's the best feeling ever is playing on stage and sharing that grit, sharing that story, sharing that emotion with people in this you know the hope that they can relate to it on some level and that it can you know change at least one person's night or their life or whatever in the same way as that music has changed my life and kept me going through my hardest times of being in prison dealing with my mum's death and dealing with fucking going through COVID like you know we we it's kept us going kept us going together and like I, one thing I didn't say about that first gig we played at the Northern that my housemate committed suicide that night Fuck and like off. we went from the biggest high. He wasn't at the. He was the only person not at the gig. And then we found out at seven o'clock the next day after you know partying all night that he he um he he decided to tap out. And you know it was such a huge shock. And we played at his funeral and stuff. And like the 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 fucking the emotion that runs through what keeps Cash Wizard together as a band is 
it's far more than just music. It's it's like you know this bringing together of people through these fucking tough times, and like it's kind of what. And the the song we released a couple of months ago, Fire. <coughs> some of the lyrics in that were from Dan. Um, some one of the songs that he wrote, and you know it's. it's that song in itself is such a culmination of all you know all these other just hard times and it's despair it's love it's loss it's fucking mental health it's drug abuse it's fucking everything and it's it's not just like putting stuff together that sounds fancy and sounds like oh this will people will like this it's like it's come from it's come from somewhere else it's but it's being channeled through this avenue of you know us four wizards and yeah i feel like people resonate with it because it's it's fucking real it's real and it's raw and it's this it's telling the story of life which ain't always fucking rainbows and sunshine it's you know and sometimes it's skulls it's death it's fucking lightning it's it's a blizzard out there. <laughs> That's right, man. And it, it wouldn't be life without the hardship and the bad shit, you know. Yeah. You, you, you couldn't have life without death. There needs to be both. Exactly. It's the, it's the nature of the, the realm in which we live and it's, you know. It's, but we choose life and we choose, we choose it every choose fucking to come day. And, and do we, it. we choose it through working hard, putting the work in for the people around us. And love. That's why you get up. Yeah, well, it's 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 about creating the conditions for love, isn't it? Yeah. Like a lot of people say the word love and express it as a hollow platitude, but, you know, if you're not creating the conditions for love, there's no hope of love existing. So, you know, creating the conditions is taking fucking care of yourself, man. It's what it is. It's like, you know, doing all the right shit for your body and, and your brain and what it needs and, and so you can stay trigger-free and calm and... and um stay in that serotonin state of of contentment and kindness mm. uh, if you don't want to do the work then you got to concede to the fact you're not really going to be able to to feel much love in your life yeah no matter exactly. what you got yeah and i feel like yeah getting the negative emotions out through this creative process turns the negativity into you know love and it's like it's a way to just fucking flip it on its head and, like, you know, it's like you don't go through all this shit for nothing, you know. You can create something beautiful out there which can help people and help yourself. Like, I can feel <coughs> immense levels of serotonin and oxytocin and stuff when I'm playing these songs which have, have come from the fucking darkest of times. It's it's fully full circle, flipping it around and, like, turning that dark into light, you know, and mm. spreading that fucking light out of your fucking heart and your lungs and your fucking fingers and everything else like it's just just busting it in the face of everyone wow <laughs> it's fucking, I fucking it's love the best. that dude it's the fucking best and then like it's when yeah sometimes when people come out after shows and like it's people who've never even heard of you or some people have never even into that kind of style of heavier music i wasn't really into that music before i started playing with the boys and just like people were just like like fuck what was that like you guys are fucking like that was powerful, man. Like, and it's, it's fucking really. It resonates with people on like such a deep level because, like, I feel like music is yeah. There's different sides to music. You can make happy music, you can make sad music, you can make trippy music. It makes you just think in these spaces. But also, like, you, you're giving people the space to go through their own emotions and process that in a form of fucking you know a gig 
or, mm. li- or just listening, you know, to Spotify or whatever other music platforms you listen to music through. Like, and it's it's such a gift, bro. It's music is one of the most radical things. Like, it's the greatest quantum leap <laughs> yeah. in like human experience. It's right up there. The ability to cultivate and create the sounds that in turn stimulate moods, emotions. Yeah, because it, it brings these right into the present. Yeah. Because it only exists when you listen to it. Like, you know, a song, you can't touch a song. You can only hear it and you don't hear one bit. Like, you hear the song in its entirety. It's like something Alan Watts said. It's like, it's not about getting to the end of the song, otherwise the fastest players would be the best, you know. It's about creating the masterpiece. It's creating the, the space for people to get into that space in and then when they're in it and it's out and it's done it's over it's like life is get being lived you're not trying to get to the end of your life you know it's about living it and being in it you know it's fucking really cool like and sometimes it's like i get so get so lost in such thing like what is music what is life what is all these things and don't know but it feels good yeah, it has to feel good. That's what life is. <coughs> life yeah. is, uh, you know, what's the meaning of life? Feeling good all the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, which is impossible, but uh, I guess that's what you can strive for, isn't it? To feel well, good. if you create the conditions for love and you experience exactly. that love and you're on that Imagine love just, vibration all the time, then you are feeling good all the time. Exactly. Like, Feeling love all the time. So how do you do that? We've got to create the conditions for that. And, yeah. and we, through, you know, the conversation exactly. that we're having, we know what those conditions are. Yeah. And you can't, you know, you can't hide from it anymore, man. Like everyone knows now that there's certain things that you have to do to cultivate fucking love and kindness. And mm-hmm. it's not just saying the word out loud, like wishing for the tooth fairy. It's fucking, it's putting the work in. And yeah, um, man. It's, it's interesting, man. It's like. It's never done. It's never done. It, it, <laughs> it starts again the next day. Yeah. and you do it again for the same reasons day in day out and it gets easier when you do it with other people that's why you know that's why uh, monasteries exist and that's why you know mm-hmm. football clubs exist you, you train alongside each other for the common goal and it feels amazing you don't notice the hardship and the pain as much because it's shared yeah it's a very strange experience you do it mm-hmm. one out it's a lot more difficult so you know all encouragement and uh, all power to it Anyone out there who's uh, getting together and doing big group Wim Hofs and group meditations and uh, group training of any description. Just sitting down having dinner together. That too, man. <laughs> Anyone who's group celebrating. Fuck. It's, you, celebrate the end of life. you celebrate life every day. You like, should be. Yeah. You should be having food, big life. feeds of great food and a glass of wine or whatever it is uh, with your mates and a fucking a, a big old stonker of a... Doinker. For sure. <laughs> that way inclined. Not too late in the night though. Get your good sleep. Yeah. Cultivate the conditions for love. Never forget. Never That's forget. It. Love just doesn't earn itself, mate. You've got to earn it. It's there to be one. Win the game. Yeah. Win the love. But it's also like, it's that, it's our natural state of being, I feel, is like the soul or your, your individual's, the state which you want to be in all the time is naturally like, love and peace but then like living within this world of duality is like there's plenty of things which you know in to live i don't know it's a strange modern world we live in in which the conditions for love and peace aren't always around but like yeah because love isn't compatible with stress you know stress you know stress 
uh, causes cortisol and cortisol cancels serotonin. So if you are living in a high stress environment, you cannot feel serotonin. And you know, if you look at love biochemically, it's serotonin, mm. oxytocin, these kinds of things that are behind that sensation. If you want to go down the quantum physics route, yeah. Um, so you know, love isn't compatible with stress. So, but our lives are so full of stress. So how to ameliorate that stress and feel more love, and that's why you do the work. The meditation in particular yeah <laughs> anyway fuck man i think i can hear the wizards <laughs> right wizards. now they've they've arrived and they're, they're jamming they've over, arrived over, by broomstick over in the fucking house all right perfect. we're having a practice tonight for um oh we're writing some new songs actually um got right, writing can... new songs is the best fucking thing man all right like, well um, hopefully you've got one you can shelve us yeah yeah we've got got some good ones coming up we've got yeah fear Lots of songs based around fear. Uh, we're bringing out an EP, fear, the Fear EP, which is it's going to be a good hot drop. And yeah, we're touring in October, and yeah, going down to Sydney, Melbourne, sunny coast, Brisbane, uh, Gold Coast, Byron Bay. We're doing a Halloween show in Byron Bay. Nice. It's going to be fucking scary, I tell you. <laughs> oh, wow. We're going to get all the all the props and all the costumes and shit out and yeah it's going to be good at the northern love that but that's yeah, that's one to see for sure good things on the cards for the wizard day fuck yeah just gonna keep working at it that's exciting brother yeah all right thank you we'll leave it there and i'll see you in uh a few seconds
fucked cunt. Another fucking stonker from the Couch Wizards. Forum of Fear. Very mad.